Still, we fucked up. Fucked up bad. Tell me something encouraging. I just smoked a buck. I smoked a fork. Oh my god, my first year. Alrighty, guys. Hey, check it out. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Ridge Ridge Outdoors Podcast. Today, super cool day. Um, I've been trying to get this guest on for quite some time and logistically it wasn't able to work out and we finally got him to um, be in the area uh, and come on in and hit us up and said he can do it. So we're game to do it. First off, <clears throat> need to give a shout out to our sponsors of this podcast to help us produce this thing. Archery Geek Custom Strings, hit up Evan. You need a new set of strings. He can get you any colors you want. I think he's running blood like strings now. So hit him up. He'll get a set of strings made for you. Take them on down to Bruce at the Bow and Arrow Shop. Him and the guys will tune your bow. If you want to throw those brand new strings on a brand new bow, he'll hook you up with that too. And he'll be able to hook you up with anything else that uh, is hunting related. Tricer USA, hit up Drew. He'll get you a GTP2, GTP3, and uh, set you up for any lightweight optics needs you need. Last but not least, right to bear arms. Hit up Trent and Drew. Tell them I sent you. Um, blow them up over ammo. They get it in all the time. Tell them I said you put a little special little side for them. And... Uh, They'll do it right for you. But uh, real quick, Brian's not here. Timmy's here, though. Me and him are in our garage. We're sweating. And we got Ed Fanson. Fanson. <laughs> Screwed that up again, dude. I was waiting for that. Dude, listen. this I've said his last name a million times. Wrong. Every time. I have the hardest time with it. <laughs> well, listen, man. We're starting this thing out, man. Let's uh, let's kind of hear your story, bud. Just kind of kind of tell us who you are and what you're all about, bud. Oh, that's a tough question. Might get me into trouble. <laughs> no, no, it won't, man. <laughs> I promise it won't. Well, the reason I'm here, I'm I'm a native Californian, man. I lived in California for 50 years. Um, and then when I got the first chance to get out of here, I left and went to Arizona. So I'm originally from California. I'm a, a not an e elitist, but I'm just a bow hunter. I don't. I'm not into bird hunting or anything else. I uh, enjoy fishing. I left fishing when I went to Arizona, but I'm actually back here this weekend to do that. Mm -hmm. But my passion's bow hunting. I've uh, been doing that for over 30 years. Um, have a lot of history in California. Hunted all over from north to south, east to west. And uh, I, you know, been following your podcast ever since you started it, and. I think you got something. I think you reach out to people and um, I have, you know, I have some info and like to share it. Right. Right on. I, dude, I appreciate it. We appreciate the following from you, you know, to have guys like you that pay attention and kind of, kind of see where these things come from. You know, that, that to me is cool. That's kind of uh validation in itself. Right. Cause there's no, there's no, like we have analytics. You see the amount of people that pay attention to the podcast. You see, where the downloads and listens are coming from, that type of stuff. But you don't ever, you don't know who it is that's listening. You have no idea. I mean, besides the people that hit us up on social media or email, like we don't really have any other gauge of who's listening and to, to hear that you've literally listened since the beginning of it is like from you, right? That comes from your mouth. That's pretty cool, you know? Yeah, yeah my, my passion and my roots are here. So I like to hear what's going on and... um. Yeah, you, you have some great guests, so very interested. Yeah, it's it's a good one, man. We're super pumped to have you on. I I mean, I don't know what else to say outside of you know I want to 
hear exactly what you have to say in regards to the CBA. You know, I want to hear your thoughts on it and where you think and how we should pass this information along, like where it should go. And all right. Yeah. You screwed that up too. It's not, that's C- all right. It's not CBA. It's CBA. Oh, Jesus Christ, dude. <laughs> it's a, uh, it's a California Bowman hunters. And I, I grew up in a generation that was a lot different than what most of your listeners are probably, I'm 56 years old. So, um, I grew up when, technology wasn't around that you know internet wasn't around and so my passion for bow hunting grew by just shooting my first arrow uh and then i met you know i had some mentors and i met some people through uh cbh and uh, california bowman hunters i'll explain that you've had some some uh people on that have explained it before but it's a it's the state archery and bow hunting organization so it's it's the only entity in california that specifically is for archery and bow hunting and uh protecting your right to get out in the field and hunt these animals and it seems like a losing battle but uh cbh has uh once had some great victories in fact uh little known facts are that they are the ones that got the first archery elk and antelope and uh, hunts in California and a lot of the archery only hunts. So they are out there fighting for you. Anyways, it's the state organization that uh, I was privy to at that time. The, the archery club that I started, you know, shooting my bow at um, a lot of those guys were men members and, they were successful hunters, so I gravitated towards them, and they were involved in the organization. And um, so I naturally, you know, wanted to uh, mimic what they were doing and follow in their footsteps, and so I became involved. And um, that's kind of the one of the main reasons I hit you up, Brandon, was to get out here and talk a little bit about that. Wayne Raup was the president. And in fact, I met Wayne back in the 80s. We were shooting – archery at the police olympics together and just met him on the range and and you know lifelong friendship after that right and that's that's really what it was about was friendships and and uh networking and back then you couldn't search the internet to find out where to hunt you had to hit up the guy that was successful and uh try to steal his spots or whatever you could (laughs) whatever info you could yeah and then you hear about some adventures that he's been on and you know how'd you do that tell you how to you know where he went and right how to get it done maybe not specific spot but at least uh give you enough info to start right kind of give you a heads up like point you in the right direction type thing and then outside of that it's just all getting after it your own right yeah topo maps you know Mm -hmm. but ordering a topo map either through the mail or I remember there was a place in Orange County that, that I think it was a mining uh, store that sold uh, mining supplies, and but they had every topo in California, and I'd go there and just Scout have them. at it, man. BLM maps, national. I still have maps. them too. You don't throw that shit away. Did, did you ride on them and all that? Kind oh of yeah. Cool? Oh, dude, that's yeah. cool stuff. Let me take a peek at them. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, those animals may not even be alive anymore. Man, so, yeah, I just think it's cool. The CBH. So someone, 
someone like me that has no idea what you're talking about and probably a lot of other hunters, what exactly is it and, and how, do, how do people get involved? Okay. Yeah. I, I totally went sideways no, no, it's answering just, that. No, no. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, obviously they have a website now and, and, uh, you could, uh, they have a newsletter published every month, but it, uh, they organize state shoots throughout. There's a target side and then a hunting side. So I was never a target archer, but just to explain. So if you go to, uh, they have state shoots. Like last weekend was the biggest shoot. You you guys probably never heard of this, but I never missed one until probably three years ago. But it's called the state broadhead shoot. And it's a it's an archery shoot, unmarked at 3Ds, and you shoot broadheads. At these targets, is that at, at uh, Tahone, right? At Orongo. Well, it used to, it's been all, no, it's been all over. It used to be north and south, and then it was at Tahone for quite a few years. Last year or this last weekend was at a place right out of by Castaic, so up by okay. Tahone, some private property. They got right. permission to have that shoot on, and you shoot for two days. You hang out with the best bow hunters in the state, and you shoot it on Mark 3Ds with broadheads. Is there any better practice than that? That's pretty good right there. No, it's it's I never missed it. I I remember my first one. I went and there was guys that I really looked up to and I just my tongue hanging out and just staring at them. They probably thought I was a rabid dog, but I was just I I was in awe of, of these these successful bow hunters. I just wanted to be like them. So uh, you know, and that shoot was something I never missed. And you guys spread the word on that. I, I, I know it was a successful shoot last weekend, but uh, I wouldn't miss out if I was a bow hunter and in I, California. Yeah, so the only reason you missed it is because you're, you're not in California anymore. Well, I used to come from Arizona to, to go to it. My right. daughter's graduated last weekend, okay. Oh, okay. or I would have been there. Yeah, okay. The uh, And I I'd still, I went sideways from your question again. So they have a target side, and then they have a hunting side. And, of course, I gravitated towards the hunting side. And um, they publish a – every six years, they publish a record book. It's a hardbound book, and it has all the animals entered that meet the minimum score. Um, so it's a, it's a beautiful book with a bunch of pictures, stories in it. But as a youngster getting into the sport, that's how I started. I looked – I got my first copy of that book. I looked through every page a thousand times, and then I'm like, this is something I want to do, and I, I gravitated towards, they had a measuring workshop where I learned how to be an official measurer, and uh, and that's how I started my journey with CBH. So they have a target side and a hunting side. Um, they promote bow hunting, preserve bow hunting in California. They have a legislative team that works with in Sacramento to every, you know, I'm sure it's every week they come up with a, a anti-hunting bill or yeah. whatever that these guys are trying to combat, and they're they're very successful at what they do. Um, you can contribute money to it. They have a legislative fund, but uh, you owe it to these guys to uh, um, support that organization. If you and you know I'm I'm talking about bow hunting because that's my passion where yeah. I've been, um, but they pres- they fight in Sacramento to. You know they were they were a big part of that last 
uh, anti bear hunting issue that they had mm-hmm. and that got squashed. Luckily, luckily, but CBH was in, they were in up to their chest in that fight. Right. Nobody knows that, but that's the organization that, that California has to support bow hunting. Right. I, I mean, these types of organization are very imperative to the, to the actual future of hunting in California. And when you had first rolled up before we were on air and I screwed up every intro that we tried, <laughs> it was all over the place and screwing all this up. But um, you had said, like, passing this information on and, and, like, stewardship and trying to get the younger generations involved is a big fight of ours. Like, this is something that we need to do. So as far as the listeners go... that you guys should really be paying attention to what Ed is saying right now, because the reality of it is, is these organizations have a bigger voice. Like we all contribute to them, but they have the voice. I mean, we all have voices, but they, they're the ones that are leading the fight. Yeah. They're the point of the spear, you know? And, and just like you said, it's, they had their hands in the bear band bill, like to, to squash it. Like we all did what we could. I mean, right. Me, at San Diego Muleys, you know, Black Bear Pursuit, West Coast Archery, like tons of tons of platforms on social media got involved and got these petitions signed and and got it and and called the senator and and it was like left messages and we all played our part, but there was definitely like you said, like the organizations, the these conservation organizations are um, leading the fight on that kind of stuff. And it's important. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's going to be a constant fight in California. Um, I've always preached that you should support your local organization first, your, the state organization before you support any other, you know, if you're passionate about elk and Rocky mountain elk foundation, but you, you need to support your state organization because they're on the ground, they're in the state, they know what they're doing. They have the resources to, uh, get involved and protect what, what you sometimes take for granted without a doubt. I, I mean, I would say the, I mean, I know I take it for granted. I mean, I do. I, I'll be, I'll be one to admit it. I count on deer seasons every year. I count on the vast national forest that I have in my backyard that I can hunt, you know, and I count on long seasons. Like every year I count on this stuff and I do take it for granted. And I think that hearing these types of things, like coming from you, you know, like coming from a guy that I look up to in a sense, right? Like I didn't grow up hunting. I mean, I got into bow hunting and, and I look at you and you've been bow hunting for 30 years. You know what I mean? Like when you're talking this kind of stuff and how you were involved when you were my age, like that puts a fire in me to make sure that I pick that, that torch up and, and run with it. So that individuals below me, like younger than me, right. That they can see it from me and maybe one day take it from us. That and are in our know what it actually took to to keep the fight going. Correct. How how old were you when uh, when you were getting the CBH handbooks and stuff and seeing the pictures? Well, I started bow hunting when I was twenty one. My dad didn't bow hunt, so I had a I had a friend, uh, same age as me, that uh, mentored me and and taught me, you know, the the ropes at the beginning. So. It was it was shortly thereafter. He was involved in CBH. His his friends, you know, this club thing. We probably talked about it off the air. The the club, that word club, 
probably to you guys doesn't even it doesn't resonate. That, it doesn't Brotherhood. resonate, but right. to me, that's that's who uh, that's who I was, and back then, and I'm not talking about back then because today it still is. Uh, I look at CBH as a club. I'm, I'm involved in the Pope and Young Club and the Boone and Crockett Club. Those are called clubs, but they're organizations, and they they support what uh, my passion and what my beliefs are. Not a hundred percent. I've always said if you if you want a club that supports you every hundred percent what you believe in, you'll be the president, the treasurer, the secretary. You'll be the club because there isn't a club like that. Right. Um, you know, CBH they make rules and changes that I don't agree with, but overall, uh, they do. They that's that's where my heart is. Those people and it. We'll talk about people later, I hopefully. But those people that I met through my journey being involved in these organizations are made me who I am today by either me, mentoring me or or me following in their footsteps, trying to. Uh, these hunts we talked about, they led me to these different destinations all over the state, all over the country. Um, that's what it's all about is the people. So within CBH, the core is the people. Um, it, it is. I mean, it without a doubt is it. See, and that's that goes back to kind of what I said, like in a sense of like how I look to you and I look up to you in a sense. Like you're an accomplished bow hunter. You're a true outdoorsman. Like you walk the walk. Like here you are. You came. I mean, obviously you had to come this way anyways, but you came 600 miles to get on a podcast essentially and preach about conservation and joining these groups that can lead the fight for us. So like when I see that to me, that is, I guess what I'm getting at that I'm looking up to you. Right. So I need to take that torch. You don't even live in California anymore and you still, you're still involved. Here's, here's what I challenge you, challenge you to do. If your heart is in to bow hunting in California, get yourself a copy of the CBH record book. That's all you need to do. Right. Um, that kind of lays out the club and the and the the, you know, the organization, and then the the big game club is what I was involved in the the records keeping part. I was the records chairman for ten years, and mm-hmm. I edited one of the record books. And anyways, get yourself one of those record books, flip the pages, look at the pictures, and just see the history of the animals. And you, I mean, you could do research. That's what, you know, that's back in the day, that's how I did research. I'd look at the county the animal was shot in and who shot it and maybe <laughs> get their phone number or, yeah, yeah. you know, or at the time send them an email and start my research that way. So although it's a dead animal shot five years ago, I still had that information right. in the picture of the buck and this, you know, if I talked to the guy, the story behind it and. And then now I have a new friend, you know, right? And 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 someone that I mean I've have hundreds of friends that I met through CBH that I've only talked to a few times, but I would call them friends to this day. But get yourself a copy of that record book. Um, you could uh, Rodney York's the records chairman. I, he probably has them. Yeah. And uh, look him up. And uh, Brett Scott 
may even have copies of the record book. With Willow Creek Archery. Yes. And Escondido. And uh, pick one of those up. Look through it. You don't even, maybe, I encourage you to buy it, but just look through it at the counter. You'll buy it. Dude, this is, so, this is, I'm going to try to tie this back into it, but CBH is, I paid, I paid a hundred bucks the other day to become a member of Epic Outdoors to be able to have access to their members that have hunted the Wasatch Limited Entry Archery Elk Hunt, right? That in the past years, CBH essentially, like you said, just flip through it and go to these meetings. Maybe you'll rub shoulders with these people that hold records in California in units that you may want to hunt, right? It's kind of cool. And not to mention it's a history of California. Oh yeah. And like you said, we all take it for granted in a sense. Well, you know, some of us may take it for granted. I could be honest with you. I think I've only looked through one of those books one time and it was from one of my mentors, Jim, and he was a member and he would tell me about the banquets. And when I first started going like archery hunting, I'd always be like, man, I want to go. But he would tell me that, you know, like every other year or every three years or whatever, every two years, it would be South and then it would go North or whatever. And I never got to go, you know, and not, not that it was any fault other than my own. But when I first started out, I had no idea, you know, I didn't, and even now I'm still new to it. You know, it's like, um, I don't know. It, it's almost like we don't talk about it. It's like, it, which is, <coughs> which is weird. crazy. Yeah. Like you would think CBH would be like it, everyone's social media posts would be pumping it. You know? Yeah. I think it's generational, but it's also, I always, you, you said ignorance. You use that word. I don't, I don't think it's because you're ignorant. I think it's CBH's fault. Mm-hmm. I've always said that it's it's their fault, but it's difficult because everyone's a volunteer and trying to get the message out. And you know, it'd be great to have a booth at every 3D shoot. And yeah, and and sometimes you get an enthusiastic person that comes up. That's why you need to get new people involved and right. to get the message out. But it's not your fault. Um, it's CBH's fault. And how do they do that? How do they? do a better job and, and reach out to different people. There's, I don't know, there, there's Facebook and Instagram, uh, big game club, right. uh, sites that, you know, the, they have a website that you can go to, but, um, and then it's also, I think it's generational. The club thing is it's difficult to, to sell to someone that they don't need a club. They got their, their right. phone with every tons more information right. on it. I'm telling you about a record book, but you you could look at pictures all day long, yeah, on uh, on Instagram or whatever, and it, I th- I just think it's different, right? Um, but to get the word out to su- for people to support what they love doing, it, like you said, it could be gone at any point. It could be gone. So why why wouldn't we all want the word to that, get out and people to join? I, I think that that and conservation is the two biggest selling points that everyone should look at and and find a reason to you know it's probably 40 bucks a year i think mm. uh, being a membership and you're one person but you know those numbers add up yeah. and when a, the legislative team goes to negotiate or whatever they do i'm never involved in that but it's those legislators that make those decisions they don't care about the guy speaking to them they're they care about the membership behind that speaker and he's speaking for thousands, you know, right. And in California, I, for, I don't even know the numbers of how many hunters are in California, but it's hard when you only got, you know, five, 6,000 members 
but you're trying to sell this Correct. because you got 60 or 100,000 bow hunters behind mm-hmm. that are not members right. that enjoy the benefit. Right. I mean, if you drew an elk tag in California and you're not a member of CBH, shame on you. Right. A bow, a, an archery elk tag. Yeah. I, you know, do they have a social media presence? Uh, very little. They, they you know, it cha- it's, it's volunteer based and right. it ebb and flows with whoever's doing it. Right. Um, so, right, right now, uh, you know, the, because of the broadhead last weekend, I saw a lot more posts. There's and, a f- quite a few posts. So the crazy yeah. thing is, is like in, um, what's it, January, the turkey tune-up? San, so San Diego yeah. had a turkey tune-up. I think it was January. There was 700 people there mm-hmm. out of San Diego, right? And those are just people. That drove an hour, hour and 15, correct. hour and 30 to get up to Henshaw. To go to Lake Henshaw. And I don't. Like, I don't know what kind of social media presence there was leading up to that, but I know that there was a site in San Diego, SCH, that Steve Trigliato was pumping this thing. And, dude, I, I didn't know 700. I think it was, like, the, the record of ever having a turnout. May have had COVID to deal with. Whatever. Whatever the – it doesn't matter. 700 people showed up in some change, mm-hmm. right? That's a lot of people out of San Diego that just turkey hunt. Right. You know, I'm sure they hunt other things too, but – Turkey hunters. That's turkey. So it's like, I feel as if CBH, if they had, because everything is all autom- it's all computerized. Your phone, your tablet, your computer, whatever, right? That's how information is spread nowadays. It's not, you know, when you were probably growing up, you know, you'd hear it through the, the grapevine, your, maybe your neighbor was involved or however you got involved and you had brought people in and, and that's how the organization grew. Well, I feel like if they don't have a huge social media presence, they're losing out big time because that's how everybody gets involved now. If like, they had a Brian, like, oh dude, dude, dude. <laughs> Brian, if they had a Brian, I'm yeah, telling you, Brian sit there and he'll like nice pallet wall, smack it, put it on Instagram, and you know. But anyways, they they need a media manager or something, oh, you know. I I agree 110, percent and I'm not speaking for them. I right. I haven't been involved in half a dozen years but you're right I, you know I, I'm involved in the Pope and Young Club uh, I was records chairman for them and same battles same the same battles right so yeah and it's not a lot of people would call it the good old boys club or whatever all these organizations and it's really not it's just some really passionate people that want to do their part and and contribute to what you know what they love and and what their passion is. So it's hard to point fingers and there's a lot of solutions and a lot of these solutions take money and and manpower and volunteers and paid employees. Correct. And, and sometimes you just run out of steam. You do. So my message about CBH and then we can talk about hunting or whatever else you want is just give them a shout. And if you're a passionate bow hunter in California, I encourage you to join and contribute. You know, um, you never know. You, you might be pay the $40 first year membership and then it drives you that you could in a few half a dozen years or so you could, be the president of the organization. Correct. So give back. Yeah. If you love hunting, if you love hunting with your bone in California, give back. I know when when we 
started um, R2R after Patrick had left me and John joined Mule Deer Foundation. And I wish we would have joined CBH. You know, I that's truly what I wish. Because John was like full-time, for the most part, full-time bow hunter. And he's like super passionate. Whereas like I'm a passionate bow hunter, but I, I still enjoy rifle hunting. You know, but not to say that I wouldn't join CBH because that's clearly what I need to do. Yeah, you, know? you got me fired up. Yeah, I'm going to join that, tonight. That's what I'm saying. You know, I start, almost. You know, start at, start at your local level, you know. Yeah. Be a member of your local archery club, then be a member of CBH, and uh, give back if you can. I'll tell you what. I, I feel as if, you know, I like I, I don't have a social media presence, but if they had it. I feel if they're struggling for membership, I feel like that's the way to get it. If they did a weekly newsletter or a monthly newsletter, but then they continuously blast the stuff that's affecting California hunting mm-hmm. on a daily basis, people would, follow it. people would follow it. I mean, that that's the stuff that people interest. No, I mean, people want to see cool stuff, badass pictures, animals on the ground, but people also want to be informed. It's not like, oh, I don't want to fucking be informed. They just, they don't, A, they don't know where to look, you know, for one, I mean, that's a real thing. Like, you see these bills, SB fourteen seventy five ninety eight. Like, what's that? It doesn't have a name. It doesn't say bear ban. It doesn't say coyote ban, bobcat ban. It doesn't say that. So it's like looking up these types of things, and and it really falls back onto the actual organizations or or platforms. Like when I ever hear this stuff from Brian or Timmy or whatever, when someone says, "Hey, check this out," like the bear ban, when that was announced, that spread like freaking wildfire, dude. Right. And I don't even have it. And my buddies are saying, hey, you need to call this number. Johnny SD Birds, uh, Johnny Ryan, mm-hmm. I think on Instagram. He um, he left me a voicemail. You call this fucking number right now. <laughs> you give that dude an ear. Like, give him an earful, right? And anyways, that's how it all spread. And it went crazy for me. But I feel as if, if we had a reputable organization, you know, that had a heavy, heavy, heavy social media presence. Or presence, it would. That's what do the younger good. generation that's looks exactly. at. That's what they are into. Well, someone's listening right now. Good. That maybe has that talent. Good. That well, perfect. Can volunteer to do it. Yeah, I mean, listen. If it, if that person doesn't want to do it, I got a guy. You get at us, we'll hook you up. Brian will do it. Yeah. Give <laughs> right, him so accent. I've yeah. been I've been dying for like the last five minutes. Your first bow that you bought, where you bought it. And your first harvest with it. Um, <laughs> you'll you'll never forget that first one, or the second one, or the third one. What? Uh, I'm excited. I started. I had a buddy that uh, I I carried a rifle. I think got a tag, and I didn't know anything about hunting. But uh, this buddy of mine bought a, a ocean fishing boat. And he didn't know shit about fishing. So he said, hey, I need some help. And I said, I looked at the animals on his wall and said, I need some help too. <laughs> so he, uh, I, we got into fishing together. And I, uh, he goes, hey, I'm going to Utah. This was in late June, I think. He goes, I'm going to Utah for the deer hunt in uh, August. And he goes, why don't you come, come with me? And I'm like, oh, geez, I'd love to just go take pictures and, and you know, just experience it. And he's like, no, no, you, you, you can go hunt. So he'd loan me a bow, 
some arrows, show me how to shoot, fingers, non-sight. And I went home, went to the feed store, bought some three bells of hay, and learned how to shoot a bow. And we went on that Utah hunt. I missed. I saw him, or I helped recover a deer that was like 160 mule deer. That was the first deer I've ever seen dead. And I was like, oh, my God, this is fun. And uh, anyways, I missed like five bucks till I finally hit one and uh, had my first deer down. Um, changed my life forever. I came home. The next weekend, we went out up in L.A. County, and I shot my second buck. Oh, wow. And I said, this bow hunting is easy. <laughs> this is this is fun and it went downhill from there yeah <laughs> dang what uh yeah, two deer and two two deer in two weeks that's a good with one. A bow how did it feel like what were your emotions your first deer well i had missed a few and i saw him recover his so i wanted it so bad and i was i was a little frustrated at this thing called buck fever and uh and then this deer this I had this opportunity to shoot at this deer and I somehow I pulled it together and I double lunged it and he told me we went on his his tracking job was a bit difficult we were on our hands and knees and I was like wow (laughs) and so I hit this deer and it ran the direction I needed to go to go get him he said you shoot one you come get me and I I must have you know 21 years old, I'd probably seem like a, a mile, but it was 100-yard circle around where this deer ran yeah. to run out and get him. And we walked in, and we found him. We didn't even have to track him. He was dead on the trail. Ooh. Yeah, I was. it changed my life forever. It's just like you're looking at it, and you're just like, oh. Fingers and no sights. That is, that's amazing. I, it's amazing you could hit anything. I got a question for you. <laughs> I My first deer I ever shot, I hit it high in the shoulder back east and never found it and it some people say it like destroys them like patrick he he got shot that one deer and he's like uh, i don't know if i want to do this again you know and i get it but for me i was like i don't know i was like yeah <laughs> you know like that was me like even though like once it set in that oh man i didn't kill this deer i felt remorse right but then that was like when i realized like true like predator prey aspect and it's like if a deer gets away from a wolf or or a lion or whatever and it gets away like not unscathed like that's just the interaction with predator prey like i felt bad for sure that i hurt this deer and i didn't recover him but i also kind of felt like that's part of the process in a sense in a weird way and it just fired me up to be more proficient like it made yeah. me, it made me want to be a more proficient hunter. I I believe it's it's in your inner self. Some people have it, some people don't. You know, uh, my brother, uh, he has done some pig hunting with me, but he kind of drew the line, and he had that drive, but he it just isn't wasn't in his heart, right? To to have that, it, he didn't get that excitement like like we did, and. And I think some people just have it in them, um, and some don't. The the part about wounding and not recovering an animal, I, 
that's that's a difficult conversation. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't like to talk about those. I don't like to go there. Right. Um, they do happen, no doubt. But it you it's more about the process than than the end result. Mm-hmm. If you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Where if you if you uh whatever's in you that drives you to that point and you release the arrow or pull the trigger or whatever it is that's within your inner self the the consequences you know that before going into it and sometimes it does happen and unfortunately but most often it doesn't it results in a clean quick kill yeah. and and we recover the animal and we learn by both experiences and mm-hmm. and keep going but i do believe that drive that you had was inside you whether you wounded an animal or not right it, it came out uh you know in that circumstance and you learned from it and Mm -hmm. i i think uh i call i kind of call it prey drive i think we all like you said i think everybody either has it or they don't and if you have it you have prey drive like when you see this dog right here when you see her after birds or if you see her try to get a lizard or a rat in the backyard that's that's not like her behavior this is her behavior like laying on the ground like your dog lays on the ground but when that prey drive kicks in it's like a completely different animal. I think humans have that. I yeah, think we, absolutely. I mean, we're predators. We have forward facing eyes. You know, you're born with canine, well, after your baby teeth, but you generally speaking, you have canines. I mean, we're, we're not supposed to live to 55 in the wild, right? Our teeth would be gone if we did. That's why, we, you know, modern day technologies are allowed to keep us our health. But, anyways, I think we all have it. I just think it's a matter of getting into it. And I think with a, with a bow, I think you really get into it. Yeah, and it's defined differently for each individual. Yeah, it's not I think the same. So. I think so. Uh, and and then, and then it also changes over time. You, uh, my first, you know, that first deer I killed, I couldn't get enough of it. I wanted to put an arrow in everything I saw. Uh, but then over time, I've, I'm at the point in my life where it's much more about the adventure than the end result, or even drawing my bow back. It's it's the logistics to get there. It's the the travel, the preparation, the gear, the the scenery, the smells, seeing other animals, you know, all different species. It it all combines into one big package of satisfaction and and I'm content with that now versus when I you know, I was shooting those missing those deer on my first hunt, man my goal was to put one through an animal. Right. And uh, it's it's changed over time. So you you're you're more okay with not filling a tag now than you probably ever have been. Oh, absolutely. The, the, when I first started, the deer, you know, getting an animal down was the ultimate goal. Right. And now that's so far back beyond uh, right. the goal that I don't even see it sometimes. Do you think that had something to do with? looking at that cbh book and seeing all those harvest pictures and seeing the guys that you're looking up to and you're like man i want to be like that type thing you think that maybe had something to do with it no it was the product of that book it was the the uh the adventures that that book led me on mm-hmm. so when i you know like the antelope you know to draw an antelope tag in california was is you know, not many people get are fortunate to hunt antelope in California. So when I drew that tag, it was 
now time, you know, the preparation and that to the journey towards that end result of being able to get an antelope in California. So I traveled, you know, I traveled up there. I believe it or not, I drew with my brother-in-law who's a pilot and has his pilot's license. And I told him we need to fly our unit to scout it. So we flew up there and scouted it from the air. Then we went, landed the plane, got in a Jeep and, and learned the country. So I saw a part of California that I would have never saw. Right. Because of that book and what it drove, you know, it, it drove me to that destination to where I was able to see that country, hunt an animal I've, you know, never hunted before and was eventually successful. Right. Um, so that's what that book did for me. Yeah. It seems like it. Absolutely. I, I've, most, you know, here's another example is we hunt these local deer down here. CBH classifies them as Pacific hybrid, but that's not a biological classification. They, they did that for record keeping purposes. But so we have that, and then we have the mule deer like in the Sierras and stuff. But there's Columbia blacktail deer that are nowhere near us right here. They, you know, it starts around Monterey, mm-hmm. the coast, and goes all the way to Oregon. So, who wants to go up and hunt deer there? Because you got to drive past thousands of deer hunting areas to get to that. Right. Well, because it's a different classification of deer, and I wanted to hunt that particular deer, um, I traveled up there, and I traveled probably at least six, eight times hunting, backpacking in wildernesses. I drew a couple uh, blacktail tags at archery blacktail tags in California that, you know, I, you know, I, I read uh, or SCH has a lot about the hunting down here in San Diego County. And I'm like, yeah, those guys are hitting it hard down here and they know the area and they're, some of these guys are successful, but I don't hear about them venturing outside of that. Right to go hunt the Sierras or, or Northern California or, or the coast for the, for the blacktail deer. But that, that book drove me to those places. It shows you that because it's statewide. Yeah. It's not local. It's kind of like this podcast. We're basically primarily a local based podcast. Like we don't really get guys from Northern California that would talk about situations and adventures like that. We just get them local mountain guys for the most part. Well, but we're, we're all, I get it. Hunters together, it. you know? Yeah, I get and it. Yeah, you know, here's here's a difference. And I get it. I, I'm not – guys that are – they have a specialty. Mm-hmm. i got a buddy that he's a mule deer hunting fanatic. Kills big mule deer, hunts mule deer very – knows them inside and out, hunting from the desert to 14,000 feet. But he doesn't get outside that box very much. Where my type of adventure, and I'm not saying one's better than the other, I'm just saying I'd rather go to a different unit in a different state or different part of California and hunt a different species and have that experience. You know, I I got the opportunity to go to Greenland and hunt muskox. I never thought in my life I'd go kill a muskox. But I had an opportunity to go, and I'm like, dude, that who cares if I kill a muskox? I'm right. going to go to Greenland on this adventure yeah and have a blast with some good people Mm -hmm. and and check that box you know and and store that in my 
obituary. I don't know. That's that's stuff that like it's kind of like tattoos, man. You take them with you. That's memories that yeah. will always go with you. Yeah, yeah. My my wife probably when I kick the bucket, she's gonna probably toss all my animals in the dumpster or whatever. <laughs> I doubt <laughs> and it. That's, <laughs> no, and that's that's cool, you know. But they're mine. They're my. You know, I look. You you look at your your two bucks here on the wall, and and dude, that's forever for yeah. you. For you, I know, man. It it. It's it means a, both, something. Both those are an adventure that mm-hmm. you lived and you could remember and go back to. Yeah, everything, all of that right there. You know, those bucks, those sheds, those, you know, those coal caps, those euros, all that stuff, man. Those are all uh, memories and adventures that, you know, I mean, I, it, the simplest stuff, the campfires that were involved, you know, the, the, the deer camps that were involved, the 10 days away from home, the drive, I mean, all that kind of stuff you look back on and, and it's just, it's great memories, the adventures that are there. I mean, I can tell you right now that, you know, I mean, filling tags were obviously, I'm not at the level of my bow hunting or rifle hunting careers as you are. So like filling tags definitely meant something to me on those hunts. But man, they, they all just, like you said, man, they're mine. Get off them. They're mine. Right. I relate to everything that you talk about with the adventure and going and seeing new places. Like I feel like I'm listening to myself in 20 years right now. Yeah. It's awesome. The way you think is I amazing. Get outside the box. It is. He does, dude. We text and you're like, you know, summer scouting starts here pretty quick. Like, you know, when we talk back and forth, you, you kind of just kind of give me insights on that stuff. And it's when you say I'm all for the adventure, like that relays through your text messages when we text back and forth. That's one I'm not even talking. Like, I'm in a trance listening right it's now. It's like, yes. Well, you wonder why I messed up nine times getting this yes. thing started, dude. You know? So, I think it's, it's like you said, it's all about those adventures. And, and without CBH in that book, you wouldn't have been pushed or even really thought about it in a sense, maybe, you know, not to say that you wouldn't have thought about going on that kind of stuff because it seems like it's in your personality, but you wouldn't have been exposed to it at I, a young age. Well, I'll... I think you're wrong about that because uh, two things. I, I I learned about the adventures from looking at those entries in that record book, but I also learned from the people I met through CBH. Right, okay. I'm telling you, all my early adventures, there, no, there was no networking outside a social circle, mm-hmm. right? So I had to seek out those people CBH allowed me to do that and then pick their brain and, and, you know, most, most are willing to help you out and, uh, and lead you to that adventure. You know, you know, I, I drew, they went, you know, I drew a Thule elk tag in California and I'd never killed an elk. So what did I, the first thing I did was, look into my network, which was small back then, of who had killed two, who hunted that unit and killed elk, or even if they hunted in that unit. And they were all, they were all my CBH group. They were all, uh, you know, the president of the, of the CBH, Dick Eckenberg, had drawn a tag the same year. And those are the guys that I learned from and the guys that I networked through to learn that unit and learn learn about the elk and their experiences and was fortunate enough to have a successful hunt all because of that. Right. Um, 
Do you? <laughs> but not being afraid to jump out there and just drive and go as well. Right. I mean, yeah. you can oh, hear as much the, as you want from someone, but having the balls to go out there and oh, go no, hunt right. and drive. Thank and, you. Oh, I no. Yeah. That. No, I'm, I'm I am ask. not saying that they told me where to go. I scout. When I drew that tag, I, I was there every I was a working man, and I was there every week until opening day. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I put the time in, but this time started with networking with people. Right. And and today it's it's no different. I mean, you you could do it without CBH, but it is different because people aren't as open. They're not as willing to give information in my, in my opinion. Um you do find that, you know, when the internet forums came around, uh that was all there was. There wasn't Instagram or Facebook. So um, I would, you know, guys would post, I drew this tag and I need to go, you know, need inf- help me, please help me. I've never been there. Yeah. Well, that's not how you do it. You, you know, you, you would send the guy a message and create a relationship and then right. see if he's going to help you or not. And that, that type of thing. But it's, it's still the same concept. It's still... It's it's that networking with people through an organization, whether it's a forum or or CBH or Pope and Young or whatever, to to get that information to start, and then it's boots on the ground. Right. So you you start. That's how I start. That's how I do it. Right. It, would you do? Would you go about it that same way? Well, I don't know. You tell me. Uh, would you go about it that same way if you drew like some coveted tag you're after now? Or would you just talk to the network of guys you have in your back pocket now? Well, if you draw a limited tag, people are much more likely to help you out. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then it's all it's relationships too. I have, you know, I've I've hunted Kodiak six times, and I know a little bit about it. So I get guys hitting me up every year, and I just recently had this one guy hit me up. And he struck he struck me off as a you know sincere nice a guy that I trusted and and I and I said here it is everything I'm gonna help you from picking your boots out to where to land to what mountains to hike up to and I told him everything and it's it's because. I had a relationship with that guy. That guy trusted, had enough guts to come and talk to me. I felt good about it, and I, I gave him everything. And it's not that I won't go back there, um, but I he's gonna. I know he's gonna share what whatever he, whatever success or failures he had on his hunt, and bring it back to me. So, uh, it's relationships, right? And you build those from, you know, people in your in the clubs, organizations, SCH, uh, R2R. Yeah. How, however you want. That's where it starts. Right. You know, this guy's still got to fly into into that lake and hike yeah. up to that mountain. Correct. You know? I mean, it's not like you gave him – yeah, it's not like you snapped your fingers and he was there. He's no. still got to do his, his part of the deal. Absolutely. And just, you know, it's no drop in a bucket, I'm sure. You know, I'm sure it's a, a task – just to get there. I mean, well, it's spending the time and money and then not even like I've talked to a couple of our friends about hunting elk and I don't want to know where you hunt. I don't want to pin. Give me a mountain range. I don't care how mm-hmm. big it is. It's east side of this mountain range. Guess what? If I know there's animals there, 
I'm going to look for them and I'm going to find them. That's part of it. So yeah, asking for spots is what I see a lot on the, the forums, but don't ask for spots. General areas that you still have to put the work in and people can still feel comfortable mm-hmm. that you're not going to blast their spot to everyone. Yeah. And that's the thing. You have to be able to trust people you talk to. So if you have a good, tight circle, like you said, a club, we kind of have a club with all the friends that we have. We it's do. just a tight circle of guys that share information. And like you said, limited tags, limited draw tags. I mean, people aren't going to hunt that for another eight years. So why wouldn't they give you the information if you're friends of what they know? Because you're never going to hunt at the same time. Absolutely. You know? And yeah. they could return the favor by Correct. Exactly. Telling you. I definitely feel as if there's a di- big difference between a general tag and a limited tag. I mean, I, okay. I feel as if even like if you were to, even if you were to talk to, like if you were to call a guide and just pick their brain about it, in a sense, they're not going to tell you, they're going to be very vague, but they're, you know what I mean? It's kind of the same thing. It's like, it's a limited tag. You're never going to draw this thing again. Well, you know, not next year. You know what I mean? You're not going to be able to go back every year for five years and, you know, know that anyways. But And you know maps and topo maps. You look at all that stuff. If someone gives you a general area, you can start going through your maps and kind of have a good idea of where animals might be held up. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you still have to do the homework. So, a little... If, here we go. A little nudge in the yeah, right direction. Yeah, nice. Ed, if you were to draw a tag for, uh, you know, high country mule deer, Whatever, any any state, you can pick the state, it doesn't matter. If you were to draw it and you're like, wow, that's a sweet area, I've never been there, but it's a limited tag. What would you look for on Onyx or a topo map that we were talking about earlier? What would you start looking for to start if you weren't going to reach out to anybody? Access, probably mm-hmm. first. See how to get in there. Mm-hmm. And then if it's high country, you know, mule deer, it's high country basins. Um, now today, and I'm not, I'm not Google Maps guy, uh, but Google Maps will show you a lot of the vegetation. Yeah, you know, those those deer live at the highest elevation uh, that you know the borders the rocks and cliffs, and so any of those those basins, I would look for re- remoteness. Um, if you find a hiking trail. Uh, Maybe not the basin that the hiking trail goes through, but the one over the ridge. Right. That's the one that I would be looking looking at, at mostly. Mm-hmm. Like how, you know how people, like if you're on forums or wherever you're getting your information from, you'll hear like crazy things. Like, I'm going to go 10 miles back. I'm solo. Like how, do you know people that do that? Or is that unrealistic? Because I, I don't know. Like solo, 10 miles back. Oh, no, there. absolutely. They do it. It depends on where you are, but. Yeah, I, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's a feasible that, thing. Oh, these, uh, today, things, you know, things have changed. This ultralight backpacking type stuff. Um, I saw an elk. Uh, I was in a, I'll give you an example. And it kind of blew my mind, but I was hunting over-the-counter unit in Colorado a couple years ago, and we didn't find any elk, and we're backpacking, so we didn't. I had a horse packer, a buddy of mine, to pack an elk out. So I wasn't going to go deep unless we can get an elk out. Well, we were back four miles to start, and the elk were blown out. It was ridiculous. I've never seen. There was like 13 trucks and horse trailers at the trailhead. Oh, man. So we get back there, and I and I told my buddy, I go, we got to go all the way to the end of this basin because if there's any elk, they got pushed back there, and they're – so we went, we backpacked and spike camped 
in the back of the basin, hiked up on her. We had found a good bull. He was bugling. And he was on he was on the opposite side of the canyon, but I couldn't pinpoint exactly where he was. So that anyways, we pinpointed him one evening. So the next morning I said, we gotta get up to the top of this ridge, glass across, and find out exactly where he, he was and what we that's exactly what we did. But later that afternoon we were just gonna stay up there all day. I see this guy hiking down the bottom solo and he had the biggest backpack i've ever seen it was huge <laughs> and he was carrying a longbow so we're i don't know we're probably eight miles at that point and the off trail no trail back in this basin and we're up on this ridge about 1500 feet above him and we lost sight of him and i'd shit you not that guy walked right up to us he never saw us it was a Total coincidence. He walked right up to us. He was probably 25 years old, 60-pound backpack, and a longbow. Solo. Solo. (laughs) And I'm like, what the fuck are you doing up here? And he's like, like, well, I came from over there. The next drainage over. Hmm. And he had heard that elk bugling, Uh walked through his bedding area, Blew him out, walked down the down to the bottom, up to our side, and he's he he wasn't even tired. And he's like, I'm going to go to the next basin. Oh, really? And he kept walking. Did you sit down and like So to answer your question, <laughs> yeah, there's guys ten miles back. Yeah. Solo. I mean I just hunting elk with a longbow. That's insane. Like I mean, obviously dudes do it and it's crazy and that's like the adventure you look for, but I, I don't know. I mean, I feel as if I get the heebie-jeebies when I'm solo when I'm way back. That's my dream. One of these years, I want to do a solo yeah, high country hunt. Absolutely. I don't care if it's for deer. I don't care what it's for. Right. I mean, dude, high country is great. I like it. It's cool. It's like this weird romance thing in my own head. I have to do it one yeah. day. I mean, it's... Have you ever done anything like that, Ed? Solo? Oh, yeah. Solo? Yeah. It, you know... Teach their own. Some some people it bothers them. I mm-hmm. I'm content. In fact, I'm more at peace being by myself. You know, bow, bow hunting is kind of a solo yeah. deal. It's nice to come back to camp and have someone to talk to and share experiences with. But sometimes your buddy can't make it, and it's all you got. Right. So, uh, yeah, I've I've done it quite a few times. Yeah, the, because I I'm gonna be solo this year. For for all intensive purposes, I'm going to be solo when I go on that elk hunt. For the most part, I do believe. Um, I do have some reservations about it. And I do have reservations of being five-plus miles back. I mean, an elk is a big animal. It's a huge animal. comes down to, you know, I mean, what happens if I'm six miles back, seven miles back, and I put a bull down? You call the horse back. Well, right. I mean, that's, that's, I've talked to Timmy about this. Yeah, I'm going to get horses. I've already ran this through for sure. They will be on the way. You're not packing an elk five miles before it spoils. Well, and that's what I'm saying. Like, that's, that's where I was getting at is like, if you don't have packers, like, dude, you, I mean, you're kind of, what are you doing? You know what I mean? Yeah. A deer, a deer hunt, uh, you can do, but. And elk's a different beast. But in Colorado, those deer get to, what, 300 pounds? 
archery season, not 300 pounds. No. Right. But, you know, two if you have to make two trips or cash it in a nice, cool place by a creek underneath in the shade, you could do it. But an elk, an elk is, you know, you're looking at at least 300 pounds of meat for a bull. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a... These, uh, these guys that say they pack 100 pounds, they're full of shit. Yeah, I... I if just, you've ever had 100 pounds on your back... It's, it's not fun. Heavy. No. It's heavy. That 100 pounds is a lot of weight. I mean... If it's downhill to the truck, maybe, but you're gonna hurt. You're gonna damage your body. Mm-hmm. I feel as if, especially my 56 year old body. That's like the. I I almost feel like I'm on YouTube. I go down that rabbit hole. It's almost like that's the name of the game. Like how much weight can you pack out? You know, like we got four miles to go. Well, that stupid pig up in the mountains. But I just I had to hike that thing out. My pack was already heavy. I was young and dumb. Killing yourself. But, I mean, it's part of the deal. I mean, that that is the reality of it is you put an animal back or down in the back, you're going to have to pack it out one way or another or you get horses. So it's something we all have to deal with, and it's all about managing your load, you know, and, and hopefully, like you said, Ed, you're you're not five miles plus back because you, you're going to end up spoiling, you know, and, and you don't want necessarily that to happen. Um, but I think that goes with limitations as well, like knowing yourself, knowing what you can do, what – you should do, you know, but I think that's part of the learning process as well. Right. You know, and Boy, what, there's Boy a scout model. Be prepared. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of guys and gals that do this that don't have mentors and they do go out and they'll fill a tag and they're like lost. I'm like, what do I do now? You know? And, um, that's where you run into the issues, but at the same time, it's like, you almost can't fault them. You got to kind of give them a, a hand, you know, like you went right. out and did it. Like, you've accomplished something, you know? You've accomplished more than most, so... It's not accomplished till the meat's packed out of the I, truck. <laughs> I just feel as if, you know, if they don't... I, I don't know. I just feel like when you look at social media or, like, YouTube that I go down all the time, it's like you always see people killing stuff way back there. Way back there. And with all this ultralight gear that's coming out, all this ultralight backpacking stuff, it's just pushing people further and further out there and... You know, if you're just going to go and you don't fill your tag, hey, that's cool. You know, like you packed everything in, you're going to be able to get it out. But, you know, if you whack a 250-pound mule deer back there, you know, and you bring out, you know, you see what I'm saying? Right. Like it's not, there's a there's a level of hunting that, like you have to really be um, conscious about when you're back there. If you're, you know, 500 yards from your truck. Like you drag some bitch out, you know, you figure it out. You know what I mean? But if you got 3000 foot of elevation gain that you just came up and you got to get it down and you got to make four trips and you're going to hurt, it's going to hurt. And if you don't have the finances to get packers, you don't have buddies there to help you out. That's where I go with the, like the solo stuff. It's like a lot of guys, I know guys do it. And like you said, Timmy, that's like your dream, but you're also not five foot five, 130 pounds either. You know what I mean? Like, you're capable, not to say that they're not, but, you know, you can move some weight. That'd know? be a lot of trips. That'd be fun. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure it would be, but. Ed, when did you decide to put a sight on the bow? Because you said the first two deer you shot, you didn't have a sight. When did you go? Right after that. <laughs> <laughs> which, <laughs> which which bow did you end up buying? Uh, it was a Ben Pearson ZB, ZB2, ZB1. 
Is that when they had like the rectangle sites, the rack instead like, of the oh, circle? Oh, the site? Yeah. Oh, I can't tell you what site it was. Uh, yeah, back then they all had brass pins that mm-hmm. were threaded. Uh-huh. You threaded them in and out. and So it wasn't was, ring to ring at that point. Ring to ring. Like your your peep to your – did you have a peep? Oh, no. Back, no, back then – well, my the way I was taught was you get a really small peep. There was no ring. They were all square – uh, rectangular type pin guards, so right. there was no circle. Right, that circle thing has only been around, I don't know, fifteen years maybe the most. And what huh. was what was that bow slinging arrows at? How fast? Yeah, yeah. I was just gonna oh, say, what's the speed? We, we didn't. I didn't. Never chronographed it. Big heavy aluminum arrows. Right. I was using a wasp broadhead that had like. It had like uh, shaving razor blades. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, they were they were uh, they were the type that would rust if any moisture around them. They oh, would really? Totally rust. Carbon steel. Ooh, yeah. Technology. So what about were you shooting fingers with that bow? I'm as not well? that fucking old, dude. Hey, I just don't know the technology. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I ain't that fucking old. Hey, he's just asking. Well, well, I don't know because my my father in law, he uh, was. Uh, you guys are the same same age, and he was showing me his first release that he got. And had like a little square button on the bottom, uh-huh. and he has his old bow still, and it's the Whitetail Hunter XL or something. Yeah, bear Whitetail. Yeah, there you go. And so I'm just looking at his stuff, and you guys are. Yeah. Well, it, let me let me a little bit of my background with the networking part. There was a small bow hunting or uh, club, another club, uh, and you in order to be belong to this club, you had to uh, be a member of CBH, and it was limited to 15 members, and they were all badass, hardcore bow hunters. So the guy that introduced me to bow hunting invited me to this meeting, and they're like, he's only shot two deer. What's he doing here? Oh. <laughs> so I was, a, I was a young kid, but a lot of the guys that that brought me up and I, mentored me right. were part of that club. Okay. But they were all non-sight finger shooters, so nobody had a release. So were these traditional, like traditional, or were no? They, they were all compound, really, which was odd too. But they were they were shooting old compounds, and uh, and then my buddy got a sight, so I I got a sight, and uh, and then it was a release wasn't even in my mind, mm-hmm. and guys were using releases. Until I drew that antelope tag. When I drew that antelope tag, I can't even it was in the nineties. Right. I drew that tag. I'm like, I'm getting a fucking release. <laughs> <laughs> I need to I need to extend my ra- yeah. my effective range. Uh-huh. And by extending my effective range, it was like from thirty to fifty, maybe. I don't know. Back then, maybe sixty tops. Right. And uh and I bought a release and then I've been shooting pins with the release ever since. Ever since. since. Kind of, it just changed everything for you. Yeah, it was, it was just it, it's more effective and mm-hmm. less chance you know. of error. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, there's with bow hunting. There's always there's always error, error for sure. Yeah, What's your effective range now? Situationally based, you know, like you know, sixty. I could shoot farther. Oh well, yeah, yeah. But at an animal, I I wouldn't. I wouldn't risk a shot over sixty. I, you know, I'm, I live in Arizona now, and if I said that, 
to my Arizona buddies, they'd laugh at me. Would they? You know, they all have slider sights mm. and and out to a hundred plus, you know, is, is what, and it's the culture. It's not, I'm not bashing it. I, I don't like it. I don't, it's not me, but it's the culture. I, today you go into an archery shop and you buy a bow slider sight, a release, and you could dial that thing into 110, 120 yards. Mm-hmm. So that's the culture that, the, the, you know, they're, you could shoot that bow out, you know, right out of the archery shop and shoot effectively enough to kill a deer. You know, my when I killed my first deer, um, I think I was 25 yards was my longest shot that I missed. So now you could go buy a bow, and if you someone teaches you the mechanics, you could effectively probably shoot 60. Oh yeah, no, that's no, we we run no with, problem. We run with a guy that was like a second or third time ever shooting a bow. I was having them ring it at 60. Right. I mean, the, the technology. Well, and- that's there. The technology and the proficiency maybe of the shooter is there, but the animal's not there. No. That animal didn't change. His reaction time's still the same. Mm-hmm. You know, the the circumstances are when you're stalking the animal and he becomes alert, nothing's changed there. Right. So, yeah, bows are more effective. They can shoot farther. But I'm not an advocate of that. Sixty yards is is within within my limits of, of my effective range. Mm-hmm. Without a bunch to, of wind, and I mean it's yeah. that even that's very situational. Yeah, yeah. I, I and I don't condemn it, but I don't. I'll tell you right now, I don't like it. I think it has something to do with um, kind of like long range shooting. You know, like on YouTube, you if you, it's rare to see somebody. It's rare to see somebody shoot a mule deer on youtube that isn't 400 plus yards i mean i'm i mean get on youtube and look yeah. it up i mean i'm telling you colorado hunting you know you got three seasons out there tags readily available most dudes are laying down and they're getting 400 plus yard shots on deer and everybody that watches this stuff is like i want to do that like it's just we all watch it it's a culture like you said Ed, it's a culture yeah. thing right we watch it it's, it's acceptable correct if you're if that's the way you've been introduced and have learned you know you can be you know, a marine sniper could have taught you how to shoot a thousand yards, mm-hmm. and more power to you. But it still doesn't change the fact that that that's a long ass shot. That's the, a poke. The Bowmars. That's probably one of the most popular bow hunting shows with the up and comers, people our mm-hmm. age. Mm-hmm. And every shot that I've seen him take on YouTube in the last whatever two years has been ninety to one hundred and twenty yards. Mm-hmm. On animals. So. I, I swear every 10 yards with a bow is 100 yards with a gun. I swear. 400 yards with a gun? I mean, honestly, if you shoot all the time, Ed, 400 yards with a gun at steel, chip shot. 40 yards with a bow on a target, chip shot. If you're shooting all the time. 100 yards with a bow, whoa. 1,000 yards with a gun, whoa. Like yeah. Th- th- it's a, every 10 yards is 100 yards with a gun. So that's how I look at it, man. Like, I... I mean, at the range, sure, I'll shoot 1,000 yards. I got at the range, sure. But, dude, I would it, with my bow, I'd never take a 100-yard shot. Like, that's far. Like, I did an 80-yard bomb on YouTube. It's on the channel right now. You can check it out. Cold bore shot, 80 yards, sure. But conditions were right. Everything, everything was right. Everything was right to hit, this, to hit this rabbit right here. Like, everything was right to hit that at 80 yards. So you, you never actually – you started bow hunting when you were 21. You never actually picked up a rifle and rifle hunted. 
Yeah, I have. Oh, okay. On accident a few times. <laughs> <laughs> On accident. I, was, I, was, I got invited to go with a buddy. He paid for my trip to Catalina Island, and he had missed this hog running across this hillside. He missed like three or four times. I don't know. And he, he handed me the rifle and said, kill it. One shot. Boom. I rolled that hog. <laughs> the other time, I took my brother out for his first time hog hunting. We used to hunt this ranch. And I had a 30-30 lever action, and I uh, this hog was walking up this trail, and I'm like, he's all mine. And I, so I shot him at like 20 yards with a 30-30. And then I killed a mountain lion in a cave at about five feet with a 38 revolver. Whoa. I couldn't shoot it with my bow. It was stuck in this cave, around a corner in yeah. the cave. You've rolled, stuck your hand in there. And just, that sounds like a party. I feel, uh, yeah. I was leaning out. It's a long story, but anyways, it was quite the adventure. How many lions have you killed? Four. In Arizona? Arizona? No, I shot my first one in Utah before I moved to Arizona, and then I've, I've shot three since I've lived there. Was it, awesome. was it not a thing, um, you know, in your younger days here in California? Like you, with a tag? To hunt lions? Yeah. I'm not that old. <laughs> it's it's been they, 20 years, I thought, right? Yeah. And you've been bow hunting for 30. No, they weren't open when. I thought they went, I think they were like 91 or something. Oh, well, no, it's been 30 years. That's 30 years. No, they were They were not open when I, it was, I know that, I think it's Prop 117 started in the, in the 90s, but I don't think that was, they, you could not hunt lions when I started in 1986. Okay. So I, no, I never got to hunt lions. Right. Yeah. So stop calling them old. I'm, <laughs> dude, right. I'm not man. I mean, what do obviously out of state and is it a kick in the pants to do it? Do you yeah, do it? a real close friend of mine's a houndman, so I get to hunt lions here every winter. That's pretty cool. I man. love it. I just I just want to go. Are there? You know, just to watch. Are there certain areas of Arizona? It's pretty much you can find a houndsman to hire anywhere. Yeah, there's you know, I the anyways there's wherever there's food for lions there's lions in the west. So Arizona has good game management. They got a lot of deer and elk, mm-hmm. and they got a lot of lions. See that they got more lions in California. Really, but they manage them though, and the game is there. Right. There's a, yeah. There's, there, there's a big difference. Well, here's here's the difference between California and and I'm not an expert, but I've I've listened to experts and California doesn't have the food source that these other states have. Mm-hmm. So lions, although there's a lot of lions in California, they've been unchecked and unhunted. They don't have the food source. So there's more encounters in California. There's more uh, predation on pets and livestock in California. But I believe that it's because they don't have the wild deer and elk populations that Arizona has. So Arizona, I've here's an example. I've, I hunted California for 30 years, almost 30 years, and hunted a lot, and I glass, I've seen in the wild while hunting um, probably six or seven. And one of those was three lions 
encounters with three lions at a time. In Arizona, I've I've seen eight just glassing for deer, and I've been there five years. Have you ever called lion in while coyote hunting? No, because I – well, no, I never have. And in Arizona, I haven't hunted coyotes since I – I haven't. Really? Just have no desire? I lost that draw. You know, I, when I lived here, I lived in Riverside County, I was rural – and I had coyotes in my backyard, and I hunted every day I could. And it, it, uh, it was. I think it was because I didn't have anything else to hunt or do. Mm-hmm. Where when I went to Arizona, I'm like, if I'm gonna get up early, I'm gonna go scout for deer. I'm gonna yeah. go glass. I'm gonna go find this buck. You know yeah. that I've been seeing. I'd rather put my time into that than. And I ha I haven't been calling. Right. And I keep tell myself i gotta go yeah do you use a hand call or do you use like a fox pro no i use a combination mm-hmm. i use a and i just bow on i don't i don't gun hunt coyotes and i i have a little it's a it's a cheap 40 dollar call from bass pro shops I, I hunter specialties maybe or something it's a re, it has a remote but it's not very loud I stick the call in a bush at 20 yards right where I want to shoot. And then I have a hand call, long-range hand call. And I so I hand call, and when I, I keep doing s- sequences, and then when I see a coyote coming or a bobcat, then I flip on the electronic mm. call. Mm. Because the hardest part about bow hunting is drawn back. Yeah. If you can get drawn back, and that sucker stops, you'll get a shot. Right. Um, but those two things are really tough to put together with hunting with a bow. But that the having the call in the bush directs them because at 100 yards, even more, they know exactly what bush you're calling from. Yeah. So if I'm calling 20 yards away and he pops over a hill, he's already got me. He already pinned you. So, but if I could see him running, and my setup is critical too, but if I could hit that, electronic call then the focus is on that bush at mm-hmm. 20 yards and i've had him tackle tackle the call i've shot through a coyote and put an arrow through my call <laughs> yeah oh it's pretty awesome when it comes together but it's it's not very often it comes together i i mean what'd you say thir- 57 times how many no, 37 37 times yeah i almost said 37 37 times they come come together quite a bit yeah that's that's next on the list i gotta go back to that and try it but after i picked up a rifle and started shooting them like if you miss with a bow i mean i don't think it's not loud they're not gonna probably have trouble coming into a call again with a rifle if you miss them it's gonna be a while before you coyote smart you miss they're gone Mm -hmm. they're real smart two shots at a coyote a single coyote i've had multiple coyotes come in and i've killed you know probably six Five to six doubles. I've never got a triple, mm. but I've had five to six. I've killed one time. I killed a bobcat and a coyote. That's awesome. That's, That's pretty cool. Call. That's pretty cool. Dude, tell us about Alaska. Yeah. That's my favorite. Yeah. I want to hear it. I want to hear about Here's it. Here's the secret to Alaska. Here's my secret. And it happened to me a long time ago. Is And it wasn't the Nike slogan. 
it was just the slogan itself, just do it. Because I've always, I just dreamed about it. You know, I, I, uh, Chuck Adams was an idol of mine, mm-hmm. still is, and a friend too. And he hunted Kodiak Island when I was just, when I killed that first deer, he was in his prime and hunting Kodiak every year. So one of those silent mentors, I guess, because I read every article I could. But I dreamt about it. I just said, man, that's something I want to do. And then one day I just said, quit talking about it and just do it. And I started networking and doing what I do on every other hunt. And Anyways, I I learned how to hunt Alaska and been there 13 times. Jesus. Do you try to go every year? I go – now I go every year when I don't have an elk tag because I like to go in September. I eat caribou or moose mm-hmm. or, or I eat – hunt the blacktails in september too and it's all do it yourself no guide Mm -hmm. so i don't hunt the sheep or the big bears do you have to uh do you do you have to have a resident with you isn't don't you have to not for deer not for deer no no you well you don't resident doesn't qualify as as anything unless you're a first uh generation or first uh a brother or sister or an uncle all right Uh, what are they, whatever, first relative. Just first of kin. First of kin. Yeah. So, I, so, so you could hunt, like, the ones you have to have a guide for are doll sheep, mountain goat, brown bear, and grizzly. Okay. And then, but if you have a relative that lives there, you could hunt those four. With them. They have to be there, yeah. I feel as if, like, not to say that this needs to happen, but I, when you're on Kodiak hunting blacktails, right? Like, wouldn't I mean you're messing around with brown bears and grizzlies? I mean, the only thing that isn't it isn't it like the Kodiak Divide or something that separates a coastal brown bear to a grizzly? Isn't that what it is or something like that? They're the same species. No. They're not. They're the same. They're the same animal, but uh, the brown bears live on the coast where okay. there's salmon streams and right, okay. and so they get more protein and mm. bigger. And then the interior grizzly is uh, is smaller. Right. Doesn't have the salmon that the brown bears do. Um, but technically, I guess, they're the same species. And the line is a Boone and Crockett, Pope and Young geographic line that was drawn to separate the two. Okay. So there's no distinction, or there's like nothing preventing no. them from crossing that line. Uh, like, no. And on one side, you whack the, you know. No, it, I know guys that, I have friends in Alaska that hunt brown bears and, and grizzlies in the same area. Right. But so, they're on both sides of the line. Dude. Do you go with Do you go with a buddy up there, a good friend or anything, or do you just, how does, how does that work when you go hunt in Kodiak with, for what, for deer, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, friends, people I trust. People I, I know that got my back and mm-hmm. in the, case of the bear incident, the, the Kodiak deer hunt is by far the most physically demanding hunt I've ever done. Okay, ever, and it's because the terrain is very difficult to navigate. The weather is can be horrendous, and then you're either packing deer or killing deer right so 
you're always you're always under physical stress. Right. So and it it doesn't end. The only time you get a break is weather. Is when you're in your tent. Right. So when you're there, because how long do you normally go to Alaska for? It's not it's not a three hour drive. Like how long do you normally go? I don't like to hunt less than ten days. So you, and it's two days there, two days back. Okay. So you're with talking. weather permitting. So you're there for ten days. Say you say you fill your tag. Four days in, like where are you cash? You get three deer tags. So so where are you cashing this meat, man? I I have uh, learned through my networking a a method that has worked very well until the last trip I went on. Mm-hmm. That I uh, put it in trash compactor. It's in a game bag. Pack it off the mountain. Let it cool. Put it in a game or a compactor trash bags. I don't even think they have. They do still sell them at Walmart. They're trash compactor bags, mm-hmm. and they're really heavy, and they're designed not to leak. Right. And I double that and get all the air out of them. Then I got a mesh, like a dive bag. Yeah. Put rocks in it, and then I, with waders, walk out till it's about five feet and let it sink. Mm-hmm. And then I, I have a rope tied to it, so I, and the storm doesn't take take it away. Right. But I've had meat up to six days, no problem, preserved. Right. The water's cold. The water's colder than the air. When I, I go in September usually. Yeah. August or September. And the bears usually don't Mess smell it. it. So for guys like us, let's say we, we were to plan something together as far as cost, what, what would be a general cost for, for a hunt like that with two guys? Um, there's a lot of different factors, but I, I'm a middle-class guy that lives on a budget and I think I've got it down to the cheapest and most reasonable that I could do without sacrificing much. Right. And I could do a Kodiak trip with two guys round trip for about, well, it's probably 4,500 now. They doubled the tag prices a few years ago. So it used to be 150 a deer tag. Now it's 300 deer tag okay. plus your license. What's the Alaskan license cost? Uh, it's that doubled too. It's, I think it's like 160 or 180 bucks. So it's over a grand yeah. for three deer tags. It's like 1200 oh, I, bucks. I was under the impression when I, when I read up on Alaska, cause I've been thinking about this for a couple of years now. Um, I thought when, you bought a deer tag. I thought it was like a booklet of three tags. I didn't. So you can buy up to three tags. Up to three. Tags. Okay. I thought I was under the impression they gave you three tags, and I was confused. No, about they that. well, they have they have a different system. They got these locking tags, then they got harvest permits, and the harvest permit has like ten tags on it. Right. But that doesn't mean you kill ten deer. The limit's three, and you have to buy the locking tags, or or what costs one hundred and fifty bucks each. Okay. When you, I mean, <clears throat> you're like flying in, right? Taking a boat or flying Bat, in. A badass float plane. Yeah. See, so you're flying in, probably an old beaver or something, right? Yeah. And um, you get there, you set up camp. What is – camp isn't a regular camp out there. It can't be. There's no way that – I mean, you're talking – I mean, and I'm getting to, like, the bear factor. Like, Kodiak is known as, like, the hot spot for bears. So, like, you just don't – right? I mean, I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I would assume you just don't 
oh, here's a good spot set up and just wing it. Like, what do you do to prevent issues? Like, what what's the, the protocol? I mean, you run in bear spray. You got a big old... 457 Bushmaster on your hip. You know what I mean? Like you got some raging bull on your hip, you know, what, what's going on? The first time I went to Kodiak, we didn't bring any firearms. Hmm. We, the flight service had uh bear spray that they loaned us. People buy it and they leave it there. So they, yeah. we said, can we have a couple of cans of that? And we landed and we set up our camp right on the beach of this lake. And, and, we had little chairs, and we're sitting on our chairs watching the sun go down, right? And here comes this brown bear. I hear splashing. I think, oh, shit, there's fish in this lake, man. Yeah. They're, they're jumping out there. <laughs> and I look to my right, and there's brown bear is walking down the beach. And neither one of us know where the hell that bear spray is. No firearms. That bear walks. We're 20 yards off the beach. He's watching, walking along the water, splashing, you know, in in two inches of water and he walks by us and he looks over his shoulder like what the fuck are you guys doing here and <laughs> i'm like you gotta be shitting oh, me oh dude <laughs> <laughs> did you have a bear tag uh no uh, and and that uh and then we had another bear encounter again uh, i think it was a different bear came in trying to get a deer i just packed in Ever since that trip, my wife bought me a 454 Casul, two inch, the Ruger uh, Alaskan revolver, yeah. six shot. You can only shoot one. Just, just break your wrist. Yeah, <laughs> blow out of your hand. Yeah. Uh, so I I carry that. We don't carry bear spray. I got a kind of like a system. A, I had, I was on the SWAT team, so I have a, a leg holster that. So that it's not hooked to my belt mm-hmm. or my pack. Whenever I drop my pack, go on a stock, that gun's always with me. If I'm yeah. if I'm in camp, it's always on my hip. And um, and all the times I've been to Alaska, I've the last I only had one bad experience, and that was the last time. In regards to meat bears. being grabbed up, yeah, just bears. For bears in general. Yeah. Oh wow! I just I'm. Oh, and and then back to your question. We have an electric fence. I okay. I use electric fence. Have you ever had a bear come up in the middle of the night and whack get? No, whack. but the last time we were there, a bear infiltrated the fence, and it must have worked because he didn't tear our. We were hunting. He didn't tear our camp apart. So oh, the fence yeah. was down. It was nothing mm-hmm. could have took it down except a bear. Right. And it must got whacked him pretty good that he, I think I think the fence curious bears that's what it's going to do. It's yeah. Gonna, but if they want if they want whatever they want that that bear's going to get two D volt batteries ain't going to fucking. So that's kind of like a safe. You can buy a cheap safe like that safe right there. That's going to keep the honest thief out. If there's right. like a real yeah. criminal, like a like a good thief professional, he can get in that yeah. in three seconds. I think even a bear, even if you got a big revolver, if he if he wants you. He, Unless you bust his cranium, he's still going to at least cause some major damage if he wants to. Right, yeah. Um, you know, whether the the bullet – I shot at a bear the last time at his feet to keep him out of our camp, and he didn't even look up. Didn't, Whoa. Did not even – just kept walking. 
No, thank you. Okay. Yeah. You Let's see, plan this trip. You see. So it's all spot and stock, just glass spot stock for. It's the best deer hunting on the planet. It's like Disneyland. Is it? Well, don't tell the world that. <laughs> <laughs> it's no secret. Here's another that go back to just do it. Uh-huh. Um, ever since my first trip, and I used to post a lot on the the uh, forums. Not give it just a grandioso detailed mm. uh, description of my hunt and photos and everything. And I'd get a hundred guys. I mean, not a hundred, but quite a few guys just pressed me for info. And the truth is if I told a hundred guys where to go and told them, here's my gear, you could use my shit. And you guys, here's the mountain to climb mm-hmm. one. Yeah. One would do it. Yeah, I mean it. Uh, it's so it's it's about just do it. That's exactly Quit what it talking is. About it. Yeah, you just got to go and do it. It's that's like when I mean to put it into perspective for the newer guys that listen to this podcast. All right, that's like them going out of state. Just do it. Like you see it on YouTube, social media. You see guys filling tags out of state. You struggle here locally, right? You ain't filling tags here. It's tough. You get frustrated, but you see all these guys going out of state. Just like Ed said, just go just do, do it. it. I've just, been so just, much. Just do don't it. disclaimer on that. Just don't go to Arizona. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Arizona's worse than Southern California. Arizona doesn't have any deer. There ain't nothing there. No, but no, that that's Ed. It's 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 incredible that you just do it. You know what I mean? But that's that's thirty years in the making, though. Like yeah. I don't know if you yeah. realize that or not, but I see it from when you were a young man hunting, figuring it out, that adventure, that search of. Man, I want to be out there. That cool, hard satisfaction of filling tags after busting your ass for 10 days, that all led up to you saying, fuck it, just do it. Yeah. And that's why you go to Alaska. Right. That's exactly it. You want the ultimate adventure. And you got to convince your wife. Right. Well, that's a big part of it, man. Here's like, how you do it. You just tell her, I only have so many days on this planet. Mm-hmm. Right? And then... I only have so many healthy days on this planet. Correct. I want to use those healthy days to the best of my advantage. So I need to go on this trip. Are you listening, Carly? <laughs> yeah, are you listening? <laughs> That's Tim's wife. Yeah. Because it's not, uh, dude. My 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 uh, window of great adventures shrinks every day, and I right. think about it all the time. I'm like, you know, I got ailments now, and I'm like. I got a high country Colorado trip this year, and I'm like, can I do this? You know, I, my mind says I can, no doubt. But is my body going to be able to do it? I don't know how many years I have left. Are you uh, are you actively doing anything to, like, prevent? Like, for example, are you taking TRT or anything? Like, see a doctor, get your levels checked? Are you going is that to, like, like testosterone? Smoking, smoking weed? No, testosterone. <laughs> you know, like maybe your levels aren't what they were when you were fucking 30. You know what I mean? Like that helped you repair muscles, joints, <laughs> my, ligaments. My wife would argue with, with you about that. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, Dude. I you, mean, you know what? My, my, uh, my gym and my church is the, and is the outdoors. Mm-hmm. So am I taking anything? I'm the type of guy that, I'm reactive to that. I go see a doctor when my when something hurts. Right. So no, I'm not. Right. I mean, it's not like you're in horrible shape. 
No, I mean, you know, it, it. My mind is excellent, but I, I am, you know, I'm, I got neck issues. I got arthritis in my neck, and right. I mean, um, it clearly doesn't prevent you, and I suspect that it's not going to. No, prevent but you, you got to really be realistic too. You know, I, you know, fifty six. Me and my wife were talking on the drive out here. I'm like, I'm almost sixty. Holy shit! Right. You know, not a whole lot of sixty year olds hiking, backpacking. 13,000 feet. I believe you'll be doing it. No, I know I want to, but you never know. Well, right. We we never know. And that's hold on. My wife needs to know that you never know when when that's going to, you know, something's going to pop up and prevent me, me from beer? doing that. Timmy, grab me another beer. Yep. Yeah, I uh I agree. Thanks, dude. I'm without a doubt. I mean, I'm not saying that I wouldn't do something like that go to alaska for that adventure because i do i want to go to alaska but i don't necessarily i don't have that drive to go and i'm a little more wary about it in a sense i don't know i mean i just I, i'm gonna be honest with you i mean You're i'm not go lying me. i mean i'm not saying i wouldn't go that's that's what stops you from going is the wariness yeah absolutely i mean i don't know if you're afraid of bears or finances or or relationship with your wife or whatever that's something you got to work out and and figure out. It's the bears. The, I mean, bear, there's nothing bears. You know, I, I swear read, the, read the statistics. It's more. That's part of the adventure. That's what I tell people. And it, it to me, it, that's exactly what it the is. The float planes were we, dangerous. We had a shit bear trip the last time, harassed by bears every day. I loved every second of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I I, with the help of little bit of whiskey and a Tylenol PM, I slept peacefully every night. Right. So you got to take that out, take that out of your mind and, and just do it. So like, well, start off, start off somewhere, start off, you know, on a caribou hunt where, you know, you're probably not going to have bear sightings or as many. Right. Because that, that's, I do think of caribou. I do think of it, but the thought of Kodiak Island, maybe it's because I just don't hang with dudes that, I mean, Ed, if you were my neighbor. Here, you're, oh, here's another here's another way to do it. Go with someone that knows how to do it. Well, I mean, I feel like, you know. And <laughs> we might know someone. Yeah, I feel like I know someone. But, no, I'm just saying, like, it. I feel like it's because my aunt, like, uh, my wariness is because I'm not around people that do it. I don't know any. Ed, you, honestly, you're the first guy I've ever talked to that's like, fuck yeah, I've been to Alaska. Been 13 there. times. Yeah, you know. <laughs> you know, and that, I mean, that's the truth. Outside of seeing shit on YouTube, but, and, you know, hearing you, I know you've mentioned that before. Yeah, like, you, hey. You know, you, are, you live in Southern California. Correct. If you go to the store right now, your chances are better of dying in a traffic accident mm-hmm. than dying on Kodiak Island. That's yeah. a fact. I believe it. I, I 100% believe it. I do. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, for whatever reason, I, I don't know if it's just. You're a pussy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'd be the first one to admit it. Man, listen, Ed, I, I'll fight anybody. Ed, I swear to God, I'll fight anybody. I don't care. I'll get my ass you know, kicked. I'll win. You know, the I'm just saying, like, I, no man fucking scares me. I mean, granted. Within reason, right? right? You know what I mean? Yeah, they're the bears are unpredictable. You don't know what move they're going to make. Correct. And but ninety nine point nine percent of the time, they're just part of the adventure and part mm-hmm. of the scenery. And 
I have to be there. Like you said, I have to be there with someone I trust to do it. Yeah. I would have to. What, what kind of research did you put into it? Like you said, you had your network of people 13 years. Now you've had the internet. Did yeah. you did you go up the f- first time? The first time you went up there, did you go with someone who'd done it before and kind of knew the ropes and what, what to do with the electric fence and how to get in contact with the float plane, where to land? Um, yeah, all that, all the above. I didn't become... Uh, my wife was the one that convinced me to be more cautious of bears. So the electric fence and the, the firearm were her idea, especially when I had young kids. She didn't want to raise them by herself. Right. So, but the first time I went, I networked with guys, and they were on forums. You know, I saw pictures of them shooting deer, and I and I just contacted them and said, hey, I'm thinking about this. And, and like I told you earlier, that guy I helped out that guy treated me the same way and and after a few conversations he's like dude I'm gonna tell you what to do and where to go and he he filled me in and we we did it on our own and we both shot three deer each and I'm like this is Disneyland I'm so I that was my first I actually went on a caribou trip before that, but that was my first trip to Kodiak hunting blacktails. Mm-hmm. And that's a long ways to go for a little deer, but that's not why I'm going. Right. I'm going there for everything we just talked about. It's the experience and the adventure. And so if, even if even if I didn't shoot a deer, I'd hate to sit in a tent for 10 days because of weather, but so be it. If I had to, I mean, that's just part of it. Um, but I, I learned through networking and and doing what little research I, you know, could scounder up, I guess. And you were able to, I mean, you were able to put it together and go. I mean, it boiled back down to your skills as an archer to be able to fill three tags. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, it's a target-rich environment. When the weather's good. Mm-hmm. You know, we I've sat in a tent for four days straight once Ooh, and that's that's nothing some guys i i was just talking to a buddy of mine who was on a brown bear hunt and they never left the tent really like 10 days and they it's just that bad never left the tent (laughs) what do you do i mean what do you do lay there sleep get a lot of sleep you think about a lot of things (laughs) come one with yourself yeah you do and you i'm telling you when you go on a trip like that and you come home Things are a lot more clear. You know, you think yeah. about a lot. You know, it's hard to be away from the family for that long. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, my wife's a needy person, wonderful woman, put up with my shit. But I, I've i had this conversation with her, and, and I just recently got the inReach. Never had an inReach. And I got the inReach not for Alaska. I got it for Arizona. I was afraid I was going to – I'd scout by myself. I thought I was going to get bit by a snake and uh-huh. just – you know, never be able to make it back to my vehicle. Right. So I got that. And, uh, and then, you know, I've always had a sat phone on these trips and, but the, if I was going to give someone a new guy, any bit of advice, I would tell him this, I would say, do whatever you can to keep your mind focused on where you are and what you're, what you're doing. Because if you gravitate to home the comforts of home, the kids, the dog, that's where your mind will go and that's where your body will want to go. Mm-hmm. 
So if you could keep that to a minimum and focus on what you're doing, and I've had this conversation with my wife. I would tell her, I'm not going to call you every day. I, you know, now that I got the inReach, I could text her, and I, it's, I got an automatic text that says I'm okay, everything's mm-hmm. safe. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and I say, and I tell her I don't want to call you. It's because I love you, and I want to come home. Right. And then if she tells me that the faucet's leaking, and and the the kids are, you yeah. know, their their grades aren't what they're supposed to be, I'm going to focus on that. I know she wants me home, mm-hmm. but I'm here. I'm here for ten days, and then I'm going to be home. Correct. So that's, uh, and that's tough. We talked about solo hunting. That's the biggest hurdle guys have to make when they do solo hunting is that uh, you gravitate towards those feelings and those what's in your mind at that time. Yeah, and it's hard not to think about the ones you love and and uh, want to go home. Man, it's. You know, or I got to do all them chores or whatever. That's um, that's because we're not hungry. Like when you back it up into like, um, when creatures of comfort, like when we didn't have electricity, when we didn't have like the modern life, like ten days away to find, like essentially you're finding food. Like ten days away is like, hey, this is what I have to do. Like it's a natural progression. Like this is what we do. We find food, right? But with creatures that you know you can go to your truck, go to the grocery store and feed your family. Like we're doing it for pleasure. We're doing it for our own sakes. We're doing it for that inner urge of ourselves to find what we're looking for in ourselves when we hunt, right? But when you're, like you said, when you're solo, you need to be able to like separate. You need to be able to leave that stuff at home and it's hard for individuals because it's not a, it's not a life or death thing. It's, it's literally when it gets tough, that's when people break, right? It's when they quit. It's because it's like, I can't feel this tag or whatever. It's too hard. So then they go back to the truck because they're going home to a warm bed. See what I'm saying? Right. Like where it's like, you need to be able to persevere through that aspect. of Absolutely. it. Absolutely. I, uh, it doesn't have to be backcountry Alaska. It could be truck camping. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, it's nice to have a deluxe camp and a, you know, very comfortable cot and, and every, and a ice chest full of beer and a heater and a heater because mm-hmm. But it, you'll gravitate towards that. You'll leave the mountain when you should be out there till last light mm-hmm. to get back there and have those comforts and and uh, it's something that you're got to be willing to give up too. It's also something that I think everybody should experience. They should experience these feelings that individuals have. You know, when you're away from creatures of comfort, like when you're away from the the normal life. Like, it's not normal for modern, anatomically correct human beings to be sleeping on the ground. Like, it's, it's, it's in our gene. It's, like, in us to do that, but it's not normal for us to do that. You see what I'm saying? Today, it's not. Yeah. That's, and that's what I'm saying. Like, today, it's not. And, yeah. and, you know, when you say, you know, oh, I, I was in a tent for four days, like, I bet you at some point in those four days, you're like, fuck this. Like, my bed, my old lady would sure feel good right now. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, those are, but you, you have that mental fortitude, like that mental toughness that you're able to separate it. And that's, that's part of the learning curve. I don't know, Ed. I mean, I, you might be able to say it, but I could probably tell you that 
I would have those issues if I was in Alaska for 10 days. Then if right the weather now. got bad, correct. then four days, the plane's four days delayed. Uh, correct. Whereas like you have had all these hunts, you have had all these days away from home. You have had all these days out with no cell verse, cell service. And you know what I'm saying? Like you've, you're mentally ready for those. I don't think yeah. anybody in their right mind that hasn't or isn't mentally ready to go on something like that should go on something. You yeah. break out there. Well, well, here's another, here's something else to help you over that hurdle is that who you choose to hunt with mm-hmm. should be someone, in my opinion, is that's equal to you or stronger than you because what that person's going to do is everyone has ebb and flows of emotions and, and, you know, hardships and whatever. If you guys work together, you could pick each other up when you know one guy's down and we're not seeing deer and let's move to the next basin and say hold on dude we know they're here we just got to find them and and pick each other up and balance each other out so that you can endure those four days in the tent right so who you hunt with isn't equally as important as uh as what's going on at that time yeah you know how many yeah. times we me and my buddy we've been glassing and I'm sitting there behind the glass going, come on, dude, just find something. Like, just find something. And then all of a sudden, I'll find something. And then he'll be, I know he's thinking the same thing. Like, he's waiting to hear, I got one. Like, oh, absolutely. deer. Or whatever we're looking for. Elk, deer, whatever. I know he's waiting to hear the same words that I'm waiting for him to say. And it's like, that, as simple as that is. Like, as simple as, hey, he's not stopping. Like, he's, he's still grinding. Like, there's no reason why I'm going to stop. Like hundred percent that right there is, is, is exactly what you're talking and, about. And if it's the right, you know, I have, I have one good hunting partner, uh, that we do exactly that. And he's, he's 15 years younger than me, but we complement each other as far as we know what we got to do. And if one guy's, you know, down or, or thinking that whatever we need to move or what, whatever that other guy's, throwing common sense out Mm -hmm. and saying no no here's you know and and lifting each other up and i getting back to the older thing you know he's 15 years younger and stronger so that guy's gonna help me pack my deer out no doubt oh without a doubt but you're you're probably his main hunting partner you guys are you you know what i mean like you you develop these relationships on the mountain that i find that it is very hard to develop with individuals for me I'm not saying this is everywhere. I mean, everyone has their own hobbies and stuff. But for me, I develop relationships with my hunting buddies, and they're a deeper, more refined friendship than, oh, I met this dude, whatever. I'm fucking softball league, whatever the fuck we're doing, right? It doesn't matter. I just feel like all my hunting buddies, I and it goes back to the trust. I don't know if it's because, like, we're hunting buddies and I've hunted with them enough to where I trust them or it's like, they're just my kind of people. You see what I'm saying? No, I, I see it. And it's 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 just a relationship that you have with an individual that you've gone through shit with that you'll never necessarily find if you, you know, like my neighbor mows his lawn on a Sunday and so do I. And hey, what's up, Tom? You know what I mean? Like, let's have a beer after we fucking mow our lawns. You know, but it's a different relationship. Absolutely. And those... 
those types of relationships are, like you said, it, you learn each other. You guys are just as capable as each other, and you, and you complement each other. And that's what gets you through the tough stuff, sitting in a tent for four days. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm assuming there's probably a lot of downtime and a lot of quiet time in four days, but a lot of reading probably. Yeah, books. Books. You bring a bunch on them? Oh, I read. Good. That's the only time. In a whitetail stand or in Alaska, I read a lot of books. Yeah, man. You're a big whitetail hunter too, huh? No. I feel like you are. <laughs> I feel like you are. <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, whitetail hunting is something, you know, when I always wanted to kill a whitetail. And, yeah. Uh, anyways, I, I, I hunted some public land whitetails and killed, killed a pretty nice one doing it. But it's it's more of a private land, who you know, mm-hmm. who you got access with, uh, type of type of hunting. Because if you don't it have is. ground to hunt, public land is overrun, mm-hmm. and it's 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 a long ways from here as well. Right. You know, I yeah. I killed a deer in eastern Colorado on public land. Um, that was my first whitetail. But anyways, back to the relationships through these organizations, Pope and young, a lot of guys are, I've, I networked with guys all over North America and I got some pretty darn good friends that have whitetail ground. So yeah. I got invited and they are my friends till they don't want to be my friends anymore <laughs> <laughs> because it's something to do in November. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, you know, I'm not a tree stand type hunter and, but there, it is fun to sit in a tree stand and have. There's no shit. We got to get over that ridge yep. and, and hike down that trail and be there before daylight. Mm-hmm. It's like, where do you want me to sit? And it's based on wind mm-hmm. and whatever they think's going on. Yeah. And I just go sit where they think I will have a chance. And I usually kill a few deer every year. And see, and, the, and they're delicious. Yeah. And I don't have shit going on in November and it's just a good time. It's a fun time. Yeah. When I go back, it's the same thing. Oh, like, I love I, it. you know, my family they got access and they got a little bit of property and whatnot. And I want to go in November and bang one with my muzzle loader. I re- I really do. I mean I've never shot anything. Yeah. I just got this thing, but I want to shoot a whitetail with my muzzle loader. And um there's something about it though. I think it's cool. Like you know, sitting there, it's I like the fact that it's not physical. I'll be honest. Because you, I tell you what, if I had to wear all those clothes and hike a mountain, oh, no way. Yeah, I mean, I just, I just got the most ridiculous Christmas present ever. I got uh, this, this uh, overalls with a jacket, and I won't, I won't tell you what brand it was, but it was ridiculously expensive. <laughs> and I, my, my wife has gotten yeah. me everything I've ever wanted for. Christmas and birthdays, and I just kind of blurted this out, and son of a bitch, she came through and got. It. So I got the warmest. I could, I could, I don't care what temperature it is, I'll be in the stand. You're happy, no uh, matter how cold it is, dude. Uh, no, I, I mean, I, I've sat in, you know, minus twenty and freezing my ass. Yeah. You could only do it for a few hours, right? Right. But this thing, I think I could stick it out, man. What about yeah. puffy jackets and string hitting? Like, how do how do you go get around that problem? I'm not a whitetail hunter. I I take some uh, paracord and just wrap, <laughs> right. it, wrap <laughs> it all over my forearm. Yeah, yeah. So it's all compressed, and 
You're good to go. That's my arm guard. Perfect. Oh, shit. Well, I mean, it all works out. It's usually the my pull cord, you know, that I pull yeah. my bow up. With. I just You'll run. take it and wrap it up. And, and it helps if I fall asleep and fall out of the tree. That thing right. will keep me from going all the way down. Were you, uh, I don't know how much you want to get into this, but were you hunting Arizona prior to moving there? Uh, ever since I started hunting. Oh, back okay. In the 80s, I every year, almost every year, I would say. Right. And I, to the truth was I never, I didn't think about hunting deer. We, it was a javelina hunt mm-hmm. for every year in January for 10 years or so. And then, you know, we're like, buy a deer. It was less than a hundred bucks. Buy and they're everywhere. Tag. They're not everywhere. They're not everywhere, dude. They're like yeah, San I, Diego. Good yeah. luck. Anyways. And then I, then I, when Chuck Adams killed that world record coos deer on the on San Carlos, I was like, he just did the impossible. No one kills a coos deer with a bow. Mm-hmm. So I got fascinated with those things. Really? And I, I don't, I only hunt mule deer when my buddies come out, but I usually hunt coos deer. Oh, that was going to be my question. Really? Yeah. Which, what do you prefer hunting? I prefer which... coos deer because they're just, I'm obsessed. I want one like that. I haven't killed one like that with my bow. Is uh, is it because they're cagey? Is that the reason? Like they're just a cagey. I I mean, listen, they're they're fucking beautiful, man. They're no, they're the most beautiful deer. They, whitetails are ugly, but those oh, aren't. That's too bright. Those aren't. They don't look. Whitetails don't look like that. They're beautiful, dude. It it was um. It was a it was an experience, and and I'm gonna go back. I have to. I feel like I've been told. I was told prior to going there, like you're going to be addicted, and I feel like there's a lot of them too. How many units actually carry coos deer in Arizona? Mm-hmm. Decent amount, right? Just a strip it's, coming it's, up from from the Mexico border up to like Phoenix. No, I, I didn't think it was very it's much coos further. Deer, there's coos deer in Flagstaff. Like I don't think the units. Like I don't think you apply to draw. Well. I, okay, a rifle oh, tag. Yeah, I don't know about the rifle units. Yeah, that, I'm sorry. I, maybe I misspoke. I don't know, but I, I don't. When I looked, it s- seemed to me like bordering Phoenix with a rifle tag, but I'm not 100 percent sure. You know, that you know that's desert um, from Phoenix south. Mm-hmm. But you know, if you there's there's a well, I've seen white tails at eight thousand feet. Oh shit! So they're they're all the way up to flags now, not as plentiful as down in the desert, but right. I I live in Prescott. I don't know if you know where that is, but just east of me, mm. there's there's plenty of coos deer to hunt. Dude, I uh I didn't see any coos on the flats, but a couple does at water tanks. I didn't I didn't really find them there. I found them on the the mountains. I did find them on the mountains. That's where that's where it all went down. You know. Whoa! Don't worry about it. <laughs> oh yeah, go pee. Don't worry about it. It's all right, dude. Um, I think. No, no, you're all right. Just go for it. I'll just, I'll just mute your mic. No big deal. But yeah, they, they, I don't think that there's. I mean, there may be Timmy. There may be some units that go, um, north. Yeah, of, I thought it kind of of Phoenix, but I know it's east of Phoenix. But I'm not 100 percent sure, dude. I hunt south. I mean, I only did it one year. It's the first time I ever went to Arizona was last year. Yeah, that's you what know? I'm going to target 
That's what I want to look for next January. Goose deer. You should. I mean, I, I, I don't know what's going to happen with this, this draw. You know, I know that um, there's a ton of, like, if you were, Go Hunt just produced uh, an article in regards to Colorado. And like 75,000 people, more people, uh, applied in Colorado this year. So, like, Ed, we were just talking. We were like, you know, as far as going to Arizona this year or whatever, I'm not 100% sure because of the actual amount of people that have been applying at these states. Like, Colorado, Go Hunt produced a Colorado article that said 75,000, roughly 75,000 people applied. More people in 2020. In 2021. One, for this year's draw statistics, because the dates lined up right, but they were saying, like, I mean, point creep by, like, five points per unit. Like, stupid amounts of point creep per unit. Something that took two units. Like, I have two deer points in Colorado, and I should have been damn near 100% in a third-season rifle hunt, just a shitty unit. Well, a good unit for me, but I think in Colorado standpoints, they're saying, oh, this isn't a very good unit, right? I didn't draw it. I should have, but I didn't draw it. So they were saying that, over 75,000 more people drew or, or uh, applied for 75,000. 75,000. I can look it up right now. 75,000 more people applied for units because of, you know, there's a lot of people that apply for points that don't, that don't apply for a unit. They just, yeah. a PD, you know, give me a P, give me a point. So a lot of people just collect points every year. Well, didn't a lot of people, a lot more people put in for OTC or buy OTC tags in Arizona? Not that many, a few thousand. Um, I don't have an explanation for the spike in applicants because mm -hmm. the, uh, there was like 15,000 more that applied for uh, elk and antelope in Arizona. I think that's what they used the excuse of for a botched-up draw. So, yeah, <laughs> they were, that was kind of a debacle. Yeah, for the, it was their computer system. It had nothing to do with the extra applicants. But there's definitely plenty of reports of more applicants. I I don't know if it's more hunters getting involved. I don't I don't know what the Here's what I do know is that to draw these tags it is going to be in, increasingly harder for especially guys like you. Me, I stacked up a lot of points, and I'll tell you where my strategy is. I'm getting out of the points game. I'm cashing in all my points. I put in, you said Colorado, I contributed to point creep. I had I had 15 points I put in for an eight-point unit and drew with 15. So that, yeah, what's that, seven yeah. above. And there was a lot of other people, and I didn't do it because of the season dates. I did it because I want out. Right. That. Um, and I'm doing that in every state. I did it for, you know, last year in Utah for deer. And, and this year I I drew an Arizona elk tag. So I'm out of that race again. Um, but, yeah, to, uh, Colorado especially with the the system they have, uh, it's it dis discourages new hunters, kids. Mm -hmm. They'll never be able to get up to that max point to draw any of those – top units there's always going to be some lower tier units but over the counter and one point units are going to be a thing of the past they say that arizona uh over the counter archery there those days are limited are they oh yeah 
they say that it's going to be gone soon. Um, really? I'll probably be moving. What do you mean? Like, if I can't hunt deer in my state, because um, I'm holding out for a strip tag. Right. So I won't burn my points on a on a just a hunt that I am now hunting over the counter. Correct. I probably hunt eight different units during the over the counter season. Right. You know, around my house, and then I go down south every year. So I won't be burning those points to hunt a just a regular unit that I've always hunted, and that really aren't a great unit to burn any points on. Right. Unless they're block units, you know, unless mm-hmm. they got four or five units. But yeah. otherwise, I have no reason to stay in Arizona because I have a lifetime license. So I'll always be in the resident drawing pool for elk and sheep and right. and bison. And I'll go, I'll go to Wyoming or Montana where I have a lot more hunting opportunity. I, I think, you know what's crazy too is that like every year states – know how many licenses are bought and how many people apply for either points or deer tags, right? Like they know. So like when, when Colorado puts out something like, like I'll read it straight from go hunt. I'm going to read it. It just one paragraph. It just says many Western States have reported a large increase in applicants for 2021 and Colorado, the subject of our article boasted an impressive increase of nearly 75,000 people. 75,000 people applied in Colorado. And they're, they're claiming that it's based on the dates. You know how, like, the rut dates and all that kind of shit? There's only so many tags, though. Dude, 75,000 people applied in Colorado. Increase. On top of the already, it doesn't give me a number of how many, like, normally apply, but... Wow. And I don't understand why that is. Like, 2020, with COVID... People got a little weird. Like maybe we got people that were like, screw it, I'll take my hunter's education and and be able to go out and get outdoors. And hey, man, right on, you know. Um, I feel as if the one thing that I can guarantee that came good out of all of this stuff is the Pittman-Robinson Act. Everybody buying up all this ammo and fucking guns and shit. We're going to have some money for some possible land access, right? You know. Do you think, though? I, I hope. I hope. I mean, that's what it's there for. If they're taking that money and running and, I mean, I've had a few beers. I'll blow off on a fucking tangent right now. Don't make me, man. But, dude, I would be pissed if that money wasn't going to what it needed to go to. Yeah, well, it goes back to game and fish, but could it be playing, paying for their deficit and I mean, game board wages? And- I mean, maybe, but I don't think that, I mean, if someone, if someone slipped an email and got it out to the right person, it would be a real big lawsuit. I, don't, I just don't think... No, no, no doubt that money's going to where it's needed, but not public land access. I mean, right? That's an argument. It is an argument to be had, but it just blows my mind that seventy-five thousand people more applied. What's going to happen in Arizona? Watch, I don't draw what I'm going to supposed to draw this year in in Arizona. You know, and and. In California. Dude, I've been chasing point creep in fucking California on a unit that I should have drawn with three points for five freaking years. And, I, and, and I'm, like, caught in between the cross. Like, what do I do? Do I really want to have eight points in California? So people go, yeah, put in for a good deal. Dude, I <laughs> yeah, come on, man. Like, I don't want to sit on points. If I'm going to be running around locally chasing deer, I want to, I mean, D16 and A22 are premium tags this year, Ed. 
They're premium. Like, come on. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know how to explain. I don't know where all these hunters came from. It's good. It sounds good. It's good. How come they're not joining CBH? <laughs> now they know I'm, about it. Well, now they know. Yeah, I mean, well, I, but I'm just saying, like, it, you know, a lot of these states, like you said, you know, Point Creep, Utah, same thing. Like Utah's always been known. I, after drawing this tag, I've done a lot of research and I've joined Epic Outdoors and I've contacted people on Rock Slide. You know, I mean, I've talked to a ton of people about this, and they're saying Utah's not what it used to be for elk. It's just not, you know? And I don't know. I haven't been hunting long enough, Ed, to be honest with you. I don't know. I, I can tell you that I'm going to go and have a great fucking time. That's what I can tell you, and there's no specific on what I will and won't shoot, you know? But I can tell you that I'll never draw this tag again. That's what well, I – The likelihood, yeah. The likelihood of it is I'm never going right. to draw it again. So it's like these out-of-state units or out-of-state tags, how likely are they – that out-of-state residents are going to be able to grab them in 10 years. Yeah. Well, same, you know? same with the Arizona OTC. Like, what, what's the success rate in some of those units out there? It's not not high. I mean. Well, they don't have the data. That's, they don't have the data to support the decisions they just made. They, you know, they closed a lot of units for different seasons. Mm -hmm. And all they did was move because they don't have mandatory reporting. Which means you don't have you don't have to report to anyone if you kill a deer. Right. So there's no data to support. They have to have once it reaches twenty percent kill rate, they're supposed to close that unit to over the counter. Well, they closed I don't know how many different units for different seasons: the December, the January, some of the August and September. So what they did was, and part of the problem was overcrowding is what quote you know they were talking about on the internet so what they're going to do is they're going to force all these people that can't hunt their regular unit into the op few open units right. and now you have overcrowding and now you have high success over harvest right right so those units are going to meet their 20 percent because those other ones aren't going to open back up right they're going to close those, and then it's going to shrink down to nothing. Then it's, then it's all going to be draw. And I don't know. See, what's happening with that? See, that doesn't, like, I'm not even a resident of Arizona, and it doesn't make sense to me because what what should be happening is the biologist in those units should be putting in recommendations. It shouldn't be going based off of, oh, there was a 1,000 archers in this unit. In this month. That's but, all. I think that's, I don't think that's the truth. I think that's, you know, what people are throwing out up against the wall. They're just throwing shit on yeah, the wall. Because they sticks. saw too many guys in their unit. Um, but the, the statute is that it's 20% success. They close a the unit to like over the counter. Even, oh, you're saying the next year. But they're not, not yeah. even at that. They're at. Some of them are at seven. Some of them are at eleven. Like they're, yeah, but they don't. They don't. Know they don't know because without mandatory. Oh yeah. If all they have to do is have mandatory reporting, right? Open it up to mandatory. Right. Reporting. In California is that way now, right? Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. But I so, pay the thirty bucks. I get an email from Arizona every time I buy an OTC tag, and they ask me for a harvest report. Right. They ask you. Yeah, it's not required. It's not required. Well, then how does that work? And how do can think, someone be? A do you think if if 
the local guy is successful, he's going to report that he killed a deer. Right, in his unit? In his, in his hot spot? No. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Then how do they decide, how can you be an OTC tag holder, put in for a rifle tag? If, with, if there's no mandatory, how, how can you be a carrier of two tags? Well, dude, it's an honor system. You get yeah, caught by fishing honor. game that you whacked a deer with your bow. You get caught. There's a penalty for that. For two, killing for, two. Yeah, you can only kill one deer. Well, that's what I'm saying. So, how do they keep track of that? They don't. It's it's the yeah. honor system, dude. And that's and I get that. I do understand what you're saying, Ed. Like, it. I mean, well, there's a lot of good hunters, but there's still some bad ones. So, I don't like. Well, the it should be mandatory. It should be mandatory. If they want to do, you know, game management. They should know how many deer are killed, mm-hmm. how many are alive on the landscape, and then come up with a number of how many can we kill next year. Mm-hmm. Right. So without that data, which I think, you know, I think Arizona is doing a great job, but they don't know how many deer are killed by the hunters. Right. I, I mean, clearly they're doing a good job. I mean, you go to a barren-ass desert and there's deer. I mean that. I mean they're doing a good job. I get that, but they should definitely have a. They should have a, a mandatory harvest reporting. They should, yeah, they and should. and it should, it should fine you. Like how I mean, listen, I'm not all about restrictions and fucking fining people and shit. But California's way of doing it, as far as mandating it, I paid whatever it is, twenty six or thirty bucks. Because when you, I yeah, because I forgot to report. Yeah. But listen, it's okay. That money goes back into the system for one and two. It's a good reminder to hey, report your tag. I, in, in California, I don't know if they still do it, but if you didn't do a harvest report, whether you harvested or not for bear, you didn't get a tag the next year. You're oh, ineligible, yeah. ineligible for a bear tag. I I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, Make it ineligible yeah, for that's a deer good, license. Good to know. <laughs> you know, I mean, Cali- I mean, California is pretty restrictive, and I'm not saying that everything they do is right, but I would agree with that mandatory deer reporting system. Because when you look at, for example, when you look at D16, right, we'll bring it back local. When you look at D16, you got 1,000 A22 tags. You got 3,000 D16 tags. You got 300 doe tags on the G13, I do believe. And then mm-hmm. I think you got like 80 M6 tags, a muzzleloader tag. Do the math. Then uh, add in and then unlimited 10,000 AO, AO tags. You know, you add that up. There's and not even that many deer in that unit. I agree. But <laughs> I why know. are they giving so many tags in that unit? Because they're not managing the wildlife. That's what I'm saying. It's... It, it's a it's a money. It's like, hey, we need to get some money for our department. Like, it's we need a. Uh, I think it's lack of management. They're not they're not overseeing the deer populations and 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 judging how many tags they should be issued. Right. I you know I grew up hunting L.A. County and I don't know how many thousands of D11 tags they issue. Right. And the D11 rifle season is in the rut. And. They have no no idea how many deer are harvested. Right. They just hand out tags like candy and there's not a whole lot killed in D sixteen. There there's really not. There's there's I think the A twenty two tag is like a six percent. You know, I know a guy that tells me, Oh, the reason why it's six percent is because of me. I mean that's <laughs> you know, that's just to say that there's not a lot of deer that go down. And hey man, it is what it is. It's tough hunting. I mean, there's some, there's, if you look at it like glass half full, it's, it's, uh, it's to hone your skills. Like if you can find deer here, you're going to find deer anywhere, right. which is good. And I contribute that to my, the success that I have had 
is hunting here locally, Ed. I mean, that's the reality of it. But I still want to fill tags locally, man. Like, even if it's one deer tag. I think I had a text message conversation with you, Ed, that, you know, I was like, man, what can we do? And you're like, one deer tag. One in the state of California. You know what I mean? I mean, Timmy, you just threw down the old point restriction. Like, make a point restriction on the buck. I don't know if that would be the case or not. We got pretty gnarly forky gene here. But one deer tag, I think it's 99% of the people in San Diego County that hunt do not succeed. The 1% kill two deer a year. So limit those guys. Sorry if you get buttered about this. Limit those guys to one tag a year. They did two premium tags. Well, it's in August 2nd or whatever. It's going to flip, and you'll see that there'll be a shit ton of D16s There might be, and if you buy one super early and you're at the door of Big 5 in the morning, then maybe. I I mean, whatever. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see how it all works out, but I think that a one tag in D16 would, or not 16, but just California in general, or bare minimum D16, D15, So that would take the D16 zone with every different type of tag they give out, that would bring it from 400 deer killed to to what 200 deer probably if that <laughs> yeah probably if that i mean i'm being dead serious yeah, i think that's, i that's i 200 breeding bucks right yeah. that's 200 more bucks dude well no f- 60 days or goes was between the m6 and the a22 so, dude i think i think d16 is like 10 to 12 percent so you're talking three, three, three fifty bucks off the D16 tag, yeah. okay? And then you got to think a six percent success on the A22. You're probably eighty percent of those are does. Muzzle loader and A22, like I think half of them are does. Yeah. Something. So I mean, do do the math. You you got some serious. You would you would have quite a bit of bucks. Plus, you talk about the predation in California that takes place. I think more deer a year, more bucks a year go down to predation than hunters for sure. I can guarantee you that there's no way that doesn't happen. Um, we kind of talked about it on the, the podcast previous, you know, you got a bachelor group of four bucks. If they're even running in bachelor groups on the high mountains, that's a whole lot different than 40 does on MCC that are spread out over 600 yards. You know what I mean? Like they're look, they're on the prowl for lions. When and have you know, ever seen bachelor bucks? Cause I see a couple bucks together here and there. I'll show you a picture on my phone right now. Five of them. Typically when I see a bucket is by himself. <laughs> No, it's, oh, it's preseason. Preseason. pre-season. Yeah. I'm talking preseason. I got five yeah. of them. Right now, they're by themselves. And it, it's like... Or, I mean, yeah, with other males. And um, it's pretty crazy that it just works out that way. Like, I just think our tags need to be regulated a little bit differently, Ed. Managed. Yeah. Game man- management. Manage them. Yeah. They you don't know. do that in California. No. You know... It's, they sheep because of other influences they manage very well elk because of other influences they manage pretty darn good right deer i'm i'm sorry but i <laughs> they, they they don't I, manage I, they, they they don't manage i mean ever for th- over 30 years nothing has changed where i used to hunt locally nothing no tag numbers no, they did change. It used to be S2, and then it was A31. And then they did. They got rid of it. used to be able to hunt till the end of January. They got rid of the the January hunt season for the either sex. But other than that, it's unregulated. Right. No, no, uh, no management. 
and that's why I feel it's, like it it's based on like a financial gain every year. It's built on the budget, you know. Like I we, don't think they have a good budget. I don't think you know. I think I think uh, fishing game. You know, California is unique too because they got the coast, right? So they got. I mean that that in itself is a whole nother can of worms, right? Um. So, uh, and you know that I grew up fishing so i've seen fishing regulations change and uh for the better and for the worse too fish populations too uh but the the deer no just my opinion it's not managed it it doesn't seem like it and i and i feel for that that's another reason why like i feel like it's a discouragement for a lot of hunters you know a lot of hunters in san diego I truly feel that way. Like it's uh, because success rates are really low. Unless you got a unit, Sierra units on the eastern side, like it's hard to fill deer tags, man. Like I don't care what anyone says. No one, no one could sit here, tell me, look me straight in the face and say, you know what? I'm going to go to any of these Southern California units and fill that deer tag guaranteed. Like I know some killers, man, that don't fill deer tags every year in California. On public land. I mean, I know some killers that whack them every year on private. You know what I mean? But it's, you know, there's a big difference between the two here locally for sure. And that's where I think like management of our unit, of our zones, or even California in general is like, if you were a biologist, Ed, like, would you want to go stomp through that 15 foot tall chaparral over there looking for deer, trying to get numbers? Or would you want to go on up to Mendenhall Valley and take a drive in the morning? Or in the evening, yeah. do they do they even do deer counts? Yeah, they, there's a couple wilderness areas. I'm not going to say the names of them, but the biologists do a really good job. They tag them. They they keep a really good record on stuff. Yeah, there there are a couple yeah. areas around. So here they that, fly, they fly and do it. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, they trap them. That that's a lot of money. Oh yeah, it is. It is, yeah. and you know, but those areas they're managed well, very well. They are me and Timmy. Oh, they're so managed. they have good deer population. Yeah, they do. And it's public. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of regulations, and you can't mess up. Like you need to read the fine print. There's a lot of stuff that you would not even think about that you can't do. So we'll we'll go over that after the podcast. Yeah, no, not that I'm interested. I'm just I never heard of that. That uh, so they got an exclusive area that they manage and do deer counts, but the rest is. Well, dude, they, they, not, they're they going like to lump that. them all in. And I've tried to get a biologist on this podcast to explain it. No one wants to come on this cast and f- talk about it. I bet you. I bet well, you he yeah, will. Yeah, no, hit him up and see because I hit up Captain Patrick Foy, and he put me in touch with an individual down here, but the, the guy never got back to me. The only reason I don't want to bring him on because as soon as you say his name, people will find well, he, out where he, we're talking about, and I would rather that not happen. I get it, but this is what I am saying is that areas that are easily accessible, right, you're going you're gonna, to, generally speaking, you're going to be able to find game a lot easier. So whether that's public or private, they're going to get a number of animals if they're counting them there, and they're going to base it off of that, okay? What does, what does 50,000 acres of private property have anything to do with where I'm hunting? Like, why are you basing public land tags off of private property? It feels like, I'm not saying that's what happens. I'm saying that's what it feels like. And if they are doing that, then have private land tags. 
like other states. You know what I mean, Ed? Right. And yeah. it, that's just where we're at. I'm going to turn this light on, dude. You good with that? Yeah. Oh, it's going to get bright. And uh, that's just kind of, um, that's just kind of where I'm at with it. You know, that's just kind of. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'm not a biologist, but you would think they would do surveys in different locations and, mm-hmm. and uh, you would try think. to do an average or something. I don't know. And that's the thing. It'd be cool to have a biologist on here to talk about how they get the numbers. Yeah. Because it'd be cool to know. Maybe I'm all wrong. Maybe I'd be eating crow. So, so let me ask you this. Regardless of the numbers, do they change? The deer tag allotments no. year to year? Some units, a, X9A got dropped like five years ago after like a big freeze and a bunch of deer died or something like that. They dropped, cut them in half. Well, yeah, that's after they all fell off the side of the mountain. But in San Diego, when I first started hunting San Diego, it was 2,822 tags, not 1,000, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I don't know. I know they're 1,000 now. And then it, it's always been 3,000 3, Yeah. So I think they dropped the archery tags down 1,000. But aside from that, it's been the same. But it, it, it and archery success is like six percent. Yeah, yeah, it, right. It's, it's kind of backwards, right? You would think they'd go, okay, right. no more. No, that's the way it's always been. That CBH has always argued that, mm-hmm. presented them with facts, and and it's it's uh, you know there's a lot more rifle hunters, so it's right. It's a lot about opportunity as well. Mm-hmm. But opportunity means you know if if you know a hundred rifle hunters their success is is 10 percent, and the archery hunters is one percent right you could put 10 times as many archery hunters in the field correct so more opportunity but it's you know it, it has to do with uh number of people that are interested in whatever uh weapon i i agree i think season dates should change i think uh uh i listen i'm all for long seasons look forward to it every year I take it for granted. But if you put a 10-day D16 season in place instead of a 28-day season in place, you're going to do a lot of – there's going to be a difference. Give it five years of doing that. Five years. See how it works out. How, how long are the rifle season seasons in uh, Arizona? They're like, what, seven days? Mine yeah. is, yeah. It's like seven days, yeah. dude. All, all everywhere is like that. I mean, dude, any out-of-state tag is like that. Outside of, like, archery seasons? Even if like, they just cut it down to 15 days in San Diego for rifle tags, I mean. Dude, I'm, like, all for, like, a, literally a seven-day season until it gets better. Now, if we had deer everywhere, whatever. If the success rate was 20%. We just don't have a lot of deer. There's just not a lot of deer. So we need to manage it, and it's our responsibility to manage it better. Now, if that requires us to either, A, drop the allotment of tags, B, change the seasons, or, or change the actual season dates, then so be it. We need to look out for our own. Yeah, go ahead and drop the allotment of tags, and then you're never going to get them back once the deer population does get better. So, But when you drew it, you'd kill something. For yeah. a new hunter, that's all that matters. You know that experience? Getting out. It's like you take a kid fishing. You're going to take them in a bass tournament in the middle of winter? Or are you going <laughs> to take them in the summertime, throw some Vavita cheese on a treble hook, and go catch some bluegill? There you go. We just you know got to be doing that. It's the same thing. Well, listen, Ed, we've been going for – Two and a half hours, man. We've been just chatting along, and gosh, it was a good one. I, I appreciate you coming on out here, dude. We appreciate it. You got anything you want to add? No. I know we have more I'll, to cover. I'll, I'll tell you what. We're not going to solve the the game management in California. This no. 
two and a half hour podcast. No, no, we won't. But listen, I can tell you this much that I still have plenty of things that I would love to pick your brain about. So I would love to do this again, you know, whether that's back here when you're back out or if we're in Arizona, one of the two, it doesn't matter to us. Um, I, you're a wealth of knowledge and, and we didn't even get into half of your stuff. So I would love to be able to pick your brain again, man. Absolutely. You know, we appreciate it. And, and I think your ride's here. Oh, is she out there? Yeah. <laughs> she only been there for a couple minutes, you know. I, I, I pointed I, out there trying to get your attention, but. I didn't see her. But that's where we're at. If you don't got anything else, Timmy, you good? Good. Listen, man, I got to get a picture with you. Brian's been bugging me. So we'll get a picture and we'll we'll post it up and let the let the world know that this just went down. You got it. You good with that? Yep. All right, buddy. Thank you.